the guys who are going to control the financial buckets ultimately are going to say, I'm going to give what to this jackass? But I think you're meaning well. They need to be treated like the toddlers they are. When they poop in the lapati, you clap your hands for them. And when they throw applesauce... Hunter Podcast is brought to you by Deer Grow. Man, it's almost food plot season, Jared, and Deer Grow is one of those products that has really changed the way that we plant food plots and the success we've seen from them. No doubt. I've been, you know, trying to plant food plots my, my entire you know, whitetail hunting career, which is a little shorter than yours, but the minute that I started or that I, you know, I realized that I could get Deer Grow back into some of these remote plots where I couldn't get lime or fertilizer, especially in the 50-pound bag, you know, format, mm-hmm. so everything was changed. You know, I could get into these spots uh, moving forward with a, with a backpack sprayer, and that since escalated to these 40 or 60 uh, gallon sprayers and we're doing upwards of you know five to ten acre food plots just with your grow and having phenomenal success yeah and i mean with the price of fertilizer lime diesel everything this year i mean what better way to get in there and grow a successful food plot at about a third of the cost check out deer grow at deergrow.com and we're back hey. on our podcast episode 136 i well, I know we messed up Bomars. I said 132. It was 133. I don't even remember. 130, this many. Yeah. <laughs> yes. That sounds something around there. Uh, 136. Um, so, yeah. I don't know what the number was last time. Should have said 35, but it, that was Kip Adams. Cody DeQuisto. Whatever, dude. I'm not keeping track. Let me. Let me. <laughs> uh, it is June 29th. If you're listening to this, it's July sometime, likely. In into July. it probably oh yeah i mean late july summer evenings i can't believe we'd be turning the page i mean there's a chance that this is this is creeping in towards towards august at this point hopefully not we'll, we'll try to keep them timely here yeah but uh you're you're into july you're past the fourth i mean you're in mid-july things are happening people should start to feel the need to get hunting cameras out yeah all yeah. this and all that i mean Beans and corn, barring we have no droughts, should be looking good. Shooting bows. Shooting bows, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's a, a Kentucky velvet season, like, on the Creeping near horizon. Yeah. Near horizon. So, yeah, that's, uh, man, super exciting to, to be into that side of things. And um, I always say that's the best thing about hunting season is there's always another one to look forward there to. There is always another one. The hardest part about that season is just to put the brakes on and enjoy it because it goes fast. I mean, those, those yeah. three, three and a half months blaze, blaze by, like, really quick. Yeah, yeah. It, it's, it's tough not to let other stuff creep in. You need responsibilities, and you just got to <laughs> prioritize. <Jobs>. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's tough. I mean, <clears throat> and it, it's one of those things, I, I say that jokingly, but it is the, the fact that, you know, you could blink and, and miss, you know, two, three weeks and of, like, critical time. Not... Not necessarily like, oh, you got to get out and you, you got to be able to harvest or shoot something, but um, just every to, day in October, man. Every just to enjoy. Day. I mean, dude, there's not much better than, you know, whether in the Midwest or Northeast, uh, like that late September, early October, fall feel. I agree. That's my favorite time. Late September is my favorite time. The anticipation, the buildup, just the soaking it in, the knowing that I'm going to, mm-hmm. what's ahead. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I live for the anticipation. It's tough to replace, man. So, yeah, we're. You know, here we are in July, but it's it's definitely um, in the crosshairs, uh, yeah. coming fast. Well, so. we're it, we're in the zone here. We've been back and forth from Illinois, mm-hmm. looking looking at a property. Yeah, looking at properties and um, running back and forth to some farms, getting some stuff. Kind of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, just you know, 
it's easy to kind of glaze over in the summertime because you know get these hot dry streaks and stuff but there's there's plenty of things to do and if you can start chipping away at it you feel a lot less rush come august you know when the season's kind of right on the horizon uh we did not draw anything out west this year because typically we'd be in full train gear for for like a north dakota south dakota you were bringing time. me down the other day you're like i oh, just imagine big muley standing out in that field i'm like that's because we were driving by we were literally driving by as they were cutting wheat yeah and we we're like wheat fields yeah Ugh. kind of a bummer yeah but uh like i said there's always another season try it after this one yeah. so um we got a cool guest today uh so we've got dr matt ranella here with us um and i think um it, matt has put out a lot of stuff over the last couple years um that's ruffled some feathers and if anybody knows us we tend to do that as well um, but I think that, uh, what we're going to have today and it will be a really cool discussion is, you know, there are things that need to be talked about in our hunting space, um, that people are afraid to just say, you know, and it's not to, it, it isn't just to stir the pot and get everybody riled up. Um, you know, healthy things come from discussion and debate, uh, progress comes from discussion and debate. Um, and so I think, you know, challenging some of the things that, you know, maybe we as a society, as a hunting society, have been told, or hey, you know, this is just how it is, or this is the new normal. Uh, to question that stuff is not wrong. Um, and so uh, it, it'll be really interesting to see where we go into some of these different rabbit holes on, on specific topics. But um, yeah, I mean, I, if anything, in a major society of where we live today, we should all be pretty aware that some of the things we're told are not true and we shouldn't just blindly accept them. Yeah. A lot of, <laughs> lot of sheep, a lot of sheep. Right. And, yeah. and, and the reality is like a lot of people are just willing to just in the general public, you know, it's a, it's a blindly follow. I think in the hunting community, I want to believe it's, it's way less than in the general, general population. Like, right. I, I, I have to believe in the general population. I'm going to, on I'll, certain things, I'll stick by that statistic. I, I would stick to it on the mainstream statistic, but within the industry, oh, I don't know, man. Yeah. There's a lot of wool over people's eyes in this space. Well, I'm, you know, I'm very much of the mindset of, and it's gotten me in some trouble, like over my lifetime. But it's like question everything, right? Yeah. It's like don't don't just believe that because they say, oh yeah, crossbows are archery. Oh, it should be an S or uh, yeah, yeah, it's th a law. This it's, is right. It's, it's, it's in the law book. Well, what do you mean? Who who decided that? Who is you know who's making these decisions for us? Is this the best thing? And uh, yeah, is so, the public having a say? We we just talked yeah. about this, obviously, small, small freaking thing, but go clear back to the Yoder discussion of where um, the drone thing going into banning for, for Ohio, and it's like, nobody heard about this. Sure. You know, and I'm not saying right or wrong of, of having that, but the fact that th the people that are most affected had zero input or ability to put input in, it's like, we're... You know why? Why is somebody else making well, decisions? Well, there's the there's the politics discussion, and like undoubtedly, it's it's kind of a mess. You know, I think uh, they're, they're even just amongst ourselves. You know, just the general consensus of how we feel about things and how people are treated, how you know whatever. Yeah, the uh, hunting community is divided. There's no hiding it. I mean, I I know people. Uh, this <clears> is one of the things that I think is a big pet peeve of mine. Is you know, um, can we all just get along? Yeah, yeah. And, and and at some level, yes, yes. because we're hunters. Right. That is the level we We're all human. Have. Yeah. We all have to get along. We all have to mind. But inev inevitably, there are going to be different things that are important to different people within that crowd. Um, and if you start to force your type of hunting or your way of hunting onto me, that's not mine. It's like, well, 
no, I'm not going to do that. That's that's not why I do it, or that's not what gets me excited about it. Mm. Um, so I think it it's going to be interesting to see kind of how those discussions play out with Matt here, um, but even just some of the response from people listening to this because, you know, I think uh, when you get into these discussions, it makes people uncomfortable. Uh, historically, not us, <laughs> but but historically, it makes people uncomfortable, and I'm a big fan. Of of I being uncomfortable, it. I love it. Uh, that I think that's the only way that you progress in life is like you got to get out of the comfort zone. You got to be uncomfortable. And you got you got to hear the opinion, right? Like, so if Matt has some ideas that are off the wall, it's like I'm super curious to know as to why that is. What motivates that thought? Like, mm -hmm. he's obviously very, uh, you know, the last name would imply that he's like got some connections in the, in the hunting. Like, he's seen things that most of us have not. Sure, you and I included. And so I, I'm anxious to learn and to hear where those opinions came from and uh you know have, have a discussion on them sounds good i'm alex rodriguez and i'm jason kelly from bloomberg this is the deal each week you're here in conversation with business icons this show will explore deal making across sports media and entertainment that is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Let's get Matt on. All right, Matt, we got you on, man. Thanks, gentlemen. Appreciate you coming in. Uh, so you're in what, Montana right now? Mm-hmm. So still, still early. Well, somewhat early in the day out there, finishing up uh, the late afternoon stroke there. That's what you said initially. You're like, can you do eight, eight, eight o'clock uh, Mountain Time or or whatever it was? I was like, oh boy. Yeah. Or I guess it's six six. Jeremy goes to bed at sorry, nine p.m. Eastern time. <laughs> no, no, dude, we we want to do everything we can to be flexible. I was like, well, we did one this morning. Yeah. Uh, you know, I've been here for 12 hours or something, <laughs> but, and I haven't eaten anything. I was telling Jeremy before we started, I was fasting since yesterday, so I'm, I should be sharp, sharp sharp to listen to our conversation here. So, Nuts. Yeah, that's the way I operate, too. I usually eat once a day in the evening. Yeah, I'm feeding. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, and I, I mean, even be like, now there's all this clinical evidence that indicates that there's health benefits to it, but I just kind of figured out that that's, like you say, the alertness level is better for me if I do, if I go like that. Yeah, it makes 100%. sense. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, some of it is like inadvertent on our side. Like we'll just get wrapped up in something and it's like, what time is it? Oh, two o'clock. I'm not going to eat now. I might as well just wait. It's literally you know? what I did this morning. I woke up and I was like, I don't have like a meals prepared or I was like, guess I'm fasting today. Yeah. You know, I'm either going to eat good throughout the day, stuff I've prepared, or I'm not going to eat. <laughs> <laughs> well, Matt, um, you know, kind of pre-podcast there, we talked about, you know, a few things that, that we've been discussing. And, and obviously, um, you know, one of, the, one of the main reasons Jared and I started this, um, this podcast was really to just have discussions with people that share similar views, uh, people that share different views than us. And, similar and, passions being the main thing. Yeah. And, and even talking just in general about things that uh, I feel at least for the last, I don't know, five or 10 years have not been talked about in the industry. And, um, you know, one of the things that, that we've spent a lot of time on here recently, and it, it sounds like we may all have some, some similar opinions on, so we'll get a little deep into it is, you know, uh, a lot of these States and stuff that we deal with and, and Jared and I focus on whitetail States more than anything, you know, so Midwest and East, um, really have been, uh, just pounding 
what we've been terming as opportunity. Um, and, and, and part of that is, is the mindset around, you know, providing that, that providing more opportunity, uh, to people to hunt, uh, creates, you know, a better hunter ecosystem essentially. And, and transparently, you know, I, I personally, and I think Jared chimes in with it too, um, don't necessarily think that, that, that is working the way that they think it's working. Um, that the opportunity that whether it's extended seasons or um more efficient weapons at at at, at harvesting animals baiting baiting has has made things so easy in some cases that the competition uh you know factor on public land has been just uh, you know bombarded and there's other factors there too but just has been over the top to where the experience of the actual hunt cannot be good uh and personally we've experienced it to where it's not good uh, on a lot of public lands in the Midwest. So uh, interested in kind of your take on um, something that we discuss on here a lot, which is, you know, is opportunity um, or is the the growth of opportunity, you know, uh, a benefit to the hunting community? Yeah, this is not something I'm used to talking about. (laughs) So it sounds like there's multiple components to it, Mm -hmm. It, right? I get. I gather your, your what you said was what, longer seasons was one thing. Yep. Yep. More and, more efficient better weapons, te- better technology better, you put yep. under the rubric of opportunity, and then baiting you put under the rubric of opportunity. Mm-hmm. Correct. Okay. Yeah. So I I probably different opinions on all of those. I mean, I, I don't have a. I don't have a unified stance on all. I think I'd have to take them all individually. I'm not a big fan of baiting. Well, let's start with baiting because that's a that's a big factor. And in fact, um, you know, and I don't know how far it's going to go, but Kansas uh, recently has put on the table. Well, let, a let, bil- let me, a let me say this about it. baiting first. In fairness, I I don't know that there are any states who have recently opened that up. I think in most uh, there are. Like Mississippi was one. Is a new one that you newly new come mm-hmm. that you you can uh, you can hunt over bait. This is crazy. I I went on a rant with off podcast with someone. You can hunt over bait if it's visible within a hundred yards. No 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 closer. Meaning okay. I could gun hunt okay. over bait, but I couldn't bow hunt over bait. Okay. Well, I, I mean, in the states that are most familiar to us, which Matt you'll find throughout the course of this podcast, we're, we're from Pennsylvania, by the way. So we we hunt in Ohio quite a bit. Uh, Kentucky. We've make it as far out as Kansas, mm-hmm. and so we've hunted the Dakotas, uh, Southwest Dakota, which is probably pretty close to you there. Um, but primarily, you know, we're we're Northeast and Midwest. To our intimate knowledge, you know, most of these states that we're talking about, baiting is not a, a new thing. I think in Ohio, it's pr- probably always been a thing. I think Kansas, it's always been a thing. It's when it's paired with, uh, b- because it is so deadly. Uh, you know, especially on, on the whitetails is what we're talking about. One is paired with these other newer forms of technology, cell cams, straight wall cartridge, cart, uh, straight wall cartridge, right? Cartridge. Uh, yeah. How to say that. What's uh, that? Crossbows in the archery so season. So straight, straight wall cartridge in, in Ohio and some of these other states where it used to be shotgun, basically Slugs. shotgun muzzleloader only. You now can use a straight wall rifle cartridge, which would be like a, 450 Bushmaster, the 350 Legends. Basically, you, you're now using a rifle 
uh, that can shoot out to 200 yards with multiple rounds, where before you were kind of limited to slugs, shotguns, single-shot muzzleloaders. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. And and I guess use this as like the, a premium example. This is a, the situation that I lay out for people a lot. It's like, you you know, I don't know how long it would have been. Ten years ago, let's say, um, a situation would have been you've got a bow hunter or you've got a, a slug hunter that, you know, may or may not be hunting over a corn pile. It was legal at that time. Um and that's basically it. You know, they had maybe a trail camera and they would have to go and check that and that would give them evidence. In today's day, you know, I, I can go out a few days before the gun season or even the archery season, you know, and I can use a crossbow during that. I can dump my corn pile. I can monitor it with a cell camera from a distance, never go in there. Uh, and then sit, you know, 60 to 100 yards away with either one of those two weapons uh, and, and, you know, basically p- pick these pick these deer off like it's how would you not kill one basically is how i feel about it um and so those are the scenarios you and know, so it's, it's that opportunity of it's like there's kids yeah. getting exposed to that for the first time um you know there's people that that's basically what hunting is to them now you know maybe they did hunt how i originally said you know they're hunting terrain ridges natural you know food sources it, it's kind of been diluted because so much opportunity has been given so this is in the state of ohio i'm sure it differs across the country um and it just it doesn't seem good. It doesn't seem good. Like it's 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 not what we want to do. It's where I think the too much opportunity. There, there's so many chances at this thing because of all of these different factors that um, you know, hunting's supposed to be a challenge, right? It, that doesn't seem very well. It, well challenging. It's multifaceted in that we personally don't want to hunt that way, uh, but it seems like you know you kind of have to, you know, to, to, to compete, like, and, and that's a specific scenario, but also I think we feel for the people who are hunting that way, kids, because that's what they're being exposed to first. I don't, all they know. I don't think that inspires a passion, you know, that would create a lifelong hunter, uh, but also to just people that, um, you know, are doing that. It just doesn't seem like a, it doesn't seem like a great experience. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't, I grew up hunting over bait. And in Michigan, and if I moved back to Michigan, I I wouldn't bait. It's not even, it's not like an ethical thing. It's just like, it's kind of, just feels cheesy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it almost feels like cheating. We've done it too. (laughs) We both killed deer over bait. Uh, We're not going to sit here and say we haven't. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I don't, yeah. And and then, you know, and like, I never thought about you interface that with, with, more technology and that just gets even more silly you know yeah yeah i i i I, uh i i can't imagine i just can't imagine going back and sitting over bait with you know and then and then uh putting trail cams over my bait pile and stuff like i just i would rather take up a different hobby than and that's it right there, Matt, in that my feeling is, you know, I grew up uh, running and gunning the hills of Pennsylvania, you know, through all different types of public land, open private land, you know, permission land. Um, Like when I was successful, I mean, I worked my tail off. And I think that that grind is why I'm so ate up with it still today. Um, if, If I place my own kids who are seven eleven, um, over top of corn with, you know, straight wall cart, like all of those scenarios that Jerry was talking about, they can, they'll absolutely be successful or at least have a chance at being successful. But 
are they really gonna love it? Like, are they? Is it or is it gonna come so easy that they're like, all right, well, we do this every year, and Dad puts a corn pile out, and I shoot a big buck, and like, there's nothing, there's nothing special about it. Yeah, it instilled a passion in me for that kind of hunting for whatever reason, but it wasn't that easy. Mm-hmm. Like it where I grew up, bait only bow hunting over bait your bait pile was only effective for the first few days mm-hmm. and after that your bait would d- disappear after it got dark but yeah but they know, weren't so there I, they weren't there during the day after mm-hmm. the first few days hmm. so but yeah i don't think it i mean when i look back on my hunting experiences it's been the times i remember that 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 I'm captivated by the things that I'm captivated by the memories I have that I cherish most are are when I've been working hard, working very hard and got and been successful. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I think that's the kind of stuff that just, um, what we, when we hear this opportunity and we're hearing it from, um, state agencies mainly like they're trying to create more opportunity. Again, the extended seasons, the allowing the straight wall cartridges, whatever it might be, uh, bag limits. Uh, it 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 just seems like um, you're creating you're creating a perfect storm here. Where on private land, right? I can bait. I can do all these things. It it becomes so easy that I don't know if people will stick with it. On public land, you're trying to shove. We've used this too many times, so I know. I but you're trying to shove ten pounds of shit in a five pound bag, right? You're trying to shove all these hunters into an area that is a finite resource. And so the experience becomes, I mean, talk to any public land hunter in the Midwest right now, and they will tell you that they almost have to outsmart smart hunters more than they have to outsmart the deer to be successful. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So what part, what, what you're saying that the fishing game management agencies are taking steps that are increasing crowding on public. I think from an opportunity standpoint that they are, they're, they're trying to create more opportunities, whether it's through, um, and we'll pick on crossbows just for a second, because, you know, during archery seasons, right, there were a finite number of archers in the woods, you know, from whatever, October 1st to to gun season. Um, The moment that that crossbows obviously became a legal archery method for the entire season for everybody, not just disabled or kids or seniors, you, you enabled a giant amount of people into archery season that typically were not there. Um, I see. So the number of people in the woods went up dramatically, demonstrably when when they legalized crossbows. Maybe yeah. not overall, uh, like over the course of the entire season, but certainly in in the archery season, you have now you have people that might have at one point spent one or two days during the gun season, now spending several weekends uh, throughout the course of the archery season. You know, in the same woods. Yeah, yeah. So the impact, I mean, the net impact is great. Yeah. So in as much as it is what we're talking about are steps that draw more people mm-hmm. into public land hunting. Yeah. I don't, I'm not into that. I, I oppose all of that. I, that's a huge part of why I became vocal about the things I'm vocal about is because I oppose, I'm opposed to trying to get more people into hunting. Yeah, and it sounds bad, right, from the outside. I mean, it, and, you know, Jared and I are not afraid to say it. Like, there's plenty of, like, you know, you, you don't have anywhere to put them. 
it's it's not that um it's not that uh, you know I don't want new people to come necessarily into hunting, but in the current situation, there's nowhere for them to go. Well, w- what is the reason, Matt? I mean, why don't why don't you want more hunters recruited? Because, um, because public lands are too crowded. Because draw odds have tanked. Mm-hmm. Because, uh. Everything's leased up. Mm-hmm. Lots and lots of land is leased up more than ever. And, mm-hmm. it's, and and I think of those as the big three big problems facing hunting in America today. Crowding, lack of access, and and, 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 and inability to draw tags. Mm-hmm. And so I think when I, the people that are bring that – are keen on growing the hunting community are by and large people that make money, mm-hmm. make more money when there's more hunters. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I, I, and I don't think that considerations of profit should weigh into decision-making about how big the hunting community is. I believe that there's lots of ways of being a fulfilled human being thank god that's the case because if it wasn't if you had to be a hunter mm. to be fulfilled then i guess 95 96 percent of americans are unfulfilled right um and there's a lot so being that there's lots of other ways to be fulfilled why not draw people into those activities mm-hmm. um because if soccer gets too crowded just build another soccer field mm-hmm. um, <laughs> yeah yeah. If this yoga studio gets too crowded, you expand it. Mm-hmm. So I I, I think I can't imagine anything more ridiculous than I mean more more that that is more ignorant or or disregards the facts on the ground more than the decision by the nonprofits in the hunting industry that we're gonna increase the number of hunters mm-hmm. yeah it's just abs- it's abs- how can you look at what's going on do you, do you think how could and 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 have that be your conclusion well what do you think of like i guess my knee jerk or like it seems like the the thought would be or, or seems like uh people are afraid to be a, a like a, a minority you know even though we already are right if it's it's five percent of americans i think when if you ask most people, you'd say, well, why, why do you want more hunters? It'd be, well, stre- strength in numbers. Like people, <laughs> it's a, uh, it's a, it's a controversial activity, you know, it wants to be taken away from us by uh, large, powerful people. Um, the more of us that are on the same page, the better. And that argument sounds good, right? It's like, oh, that makes sense. It almost seems like a double-edged sword. It's like, well, I want more hunters from that sense. I, and I also want innovation and products and all that, but um, we're also experiencing, I think, the negatives that that you've experienced on on public land, especially. Well, and the same people that make those arguments, you know, we need to protect our rights and all that, and that's why we need to grow the hunting community. Are engaged in all kinds of activities that the American people are not on board with, mm-hmm. like trophy hunting. Yeah. Okay. You know, the va- if you look at the NSSF report that was came out in 2019 on American attitudes towards hunting, you know, uh, like Americans are, are not on board with trophy hunting. So Americans aren't on board with 
um, people that shoot big bucks and then show everybody that's willing to look on social media. They're not down with that. That's so you can't tell me that you're concerned about growing the community hunting community to protect our rights on one hand and be gloating over trophy animals to the whole world on social media. Mm. Like, yeah. It just doesn't, doesn't make sense. It's, it's incongruous. Hmm. Yeah. I think there's a, there's an interesting link there between the people who, um, and I don't even know if I want to say that it was blown out of proportion, but I mean, it seems like for the last, I don't know, 10 years, it has been beat into our head that we are a dying breed, that, that hunters are a dying breed, like just beat into our heads yet. You know, I know COVID had a big play on this thing too, but, um, you know, last three years, I feel like I've seen more hunters than I've seen since I was a kid, you know, 30 years ago. Um, yeah, everywhere from the wall street journal to NPR to outdoor life, had several articles all a lot of that was precipitated by this 2016 fish and wildlife report that showed a decline in hunter numbers um it wasn't even a statistically significant decline they never nobody ever mentioned that i had to look into the back of this several hundred page report in the appendices to see Mm -hmm. that that could have just been due to sampling error that they detected this decline. So that's what precipitated all these articles like between 2016 and 2018 is this decline that could have been a statistical artifact. Wow. I think the reason you don't hear about it as much now could be because I wrote an article in Meat Eater yep. for Meat Eater ab- about how it, uh, 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 expressing my concerns about hunter recruitment. Uh, Andrew McKean mm-hmm. for Outdoor Life wrote an article a couple of years ago. We have no idea how many hunters there are then there was an increase in hunting numbers yeah that's pretty demonstrable as a consequence of covid so maybe that's why you don't hear as much about it but at the end of the day it's just it's it's like it's not even worth discussing to me well the number of hunters in a vacuum is just meaningless yeah yeah, and I mean that, I mean, that I, it, it it ignores what's happened to habitat. Yes, you know we've lost like six to eight percent of habitat in the last thirty years. It ignores what's happened to rich people gobbling up all the land for themselves. You know, it, it's it, it it's the the proper metric is something like hunters per huntable acre, and even that isn't quite right. It's, it should be like hunters. A game animals accessible per two hunter per hunter. Yeah. Accessible game animals per hunter or something like that. And it'd be shockingly low. It'd be shockingly low for many people and be incredibly insanely high for small numbers of people. Mm-hmm. Just kind of like in it, like in, in um, income inequality. Yeah. Is. Yeah. I think the, um, the the thing that caught me off guard was the the covid kick into hunter numbers right we in you know like you said just an, a giant number of people coming into it um how celebrated it was it, and at the same time we we were in southern illinois hunting public land 
It was the most miserable hunting experience I, I think I might well, have dude, ever had. We've, we've been so good. you got to look at who's doing the celebrating. Yeah. The people that are doing the celebrating are the only, that you hear celebrating are the only ones that have a voice, and the only ones that have a voice are people that make money off hunting. Hmm. That's the problem with the whole thing. And that includes state agencies, All the Matt? people that weren't celebrating didn't have any way of telling people that they weren't feeling celebratory. Yeah. You know, I, I want to say uh, my guess would be is a lot of people were conflicted, like like Jeremy and I It's more of a state of confusion around where like, you know, for the reason I mentioned earlier, it's like, boy, it, it seems like it would make sense if there's more hunters like we can stand up to the end hunters, or so that, that we sense. need them because they've been dropping in numbers per the reports that we've been. Right. Well, showing. exactly. And so I think, you know, that state of confusion or confliction, we felt as well, like we've said on this podcast, we're like. And, and it's always been more on the the questioning side of it. it's like, well, I mean, it's good, I guess, that there's more hunters, but like, boy, like at, at what cost? Like, it really seems like, you know, and I think we've been really vocal about like our negative experiences on public land in the midst of this whole public land craze that's been going on for, you know, five years now. And it's just like, man, I wish that it was great, but it's like, it's doesn't seem great to us like it's and so we're just like we don't know what to, to make and then it, it makes we, it sound like shit right because we're saying oh you know it's just we're, we're selfish you know we don't want to share it's not that it's that you know we escape to hunt for the experience right and when the experience is yeah i really went i i <laughs> i, I really wince when with this the selfish thing it's on behalf of people that have been hunting for 20 minutes yeah it's on behalf of people that have been hunting for 20 years yeah. that I say, quit bringing more people into hunting so that you can make money. Yeah. Somebody has to look out for the existing hunting community. I don't understand. Like that selfishness thing. I, I, I just, it drives me crazy. Yeah. And then the people, then you look at the people that are the lauded heroes in hunting. They're not. When you say the, they are the when most you say the selfishness, selfish people, what's that? When you say the selfishness, Matt, you're talking about people who profit from bringing people into hunting. Well, no, I'm saying, I, I, when the when the selfishness thing, I'm saying when people accuse me of being selfish. Oh yeah, because you're saying you don't want I don't hunters. Wanna, oh, uh, yeah, grow the hunting community. I'm like, I. First of all, I'm drawing all kinds of controversy myself. I'm spending 15 hours a week on something that's pay not paying me a dime to do what's right by the existing hunting community, whether it's somebody who's been hunting for 20 minutes or 20 years. It's on. It's for those people mm -hmm. that I say we don't need more money. We don't need more hunters so that you can, you know, so that you can make more money. Yeah. And then, then what I was going to say is that you look at. The, the, the 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 people that are like the most lauded in the hunting community and i don't see how they aren't getting called selfish on a daily basis mm -hmm. when well, you look at all the land they gobble up for themselves and the dozens of big game animals they kill <laughs> yeah yearly basis and they don't get called selfish yeah well and I me that wants to look out for the existing hunting community I'm selfish because I think we don't need any more hunters to bring in more hunters so you can make more money. I, I don't know. I mean, yeah. it, it would seem like drives me. A and again, crazy. there's obviously there's three R's in this thing, but it would seem like <clears throat> in your case, Matt, you're saying 
like we need to take care or quote retain the existing base, right? Because if you continue to bring in new ones, your existing base eventually is going to say, screw this, right? This is, this is not what I signed up for. Yeah. I've said it so many times, but I, I feel uncomfortable saying it again, but yeah, I, I just, I don't, I don't think that R3, there, you can't be R3. You just can't. The, the, the retru- recruitment, retention, reactivation, they, they're internally inconsistent. Mm-hmm. You're, you're either pearl retention or R1, yep. or you're pro recruitment and reactivation, R2. I just happen to be R1. Well, and I, yeah, and I mean, I would also say that I'm R1, and I would think that if you, and again, I'm making assumptions here because it's my own opinion, but I would feel like if you would take care of the existing hunters, uh, aka retain them, the the trickle effect to other generations, i.e. my kids, right, is still going to happen. So there is still natural recruitment happening to the generations that are connected to the retention people. That's how yeah. we all grew up. That's how we all got here. We all got here because somebody yeah. who hunted trickled it down onto us. It's not that some outside agency threw a, a curveball at us and said, or I should say not all of us. There's there's a very small minority that ended up getting picked out from a family that was not, didn't have an uncle, dad, grandpap, you know, cousin, nephew, whatever that hunted. Um, that organic side, and I think that organic side is so much deeper to the actual retention of being in hunting for long term, well, than the phase type stuff that we see from recruitment. To take it a step further too. Those people that brought us into hunting, uh, you know, it's not like they were, you know, they were having good experiences, right? Like they yeah. they wouldn't have brought us in if it wasn't for that. No, you know, it's like it's not like hey, come out to public land where I run into five guys every time. It's great. Yeah, you you really yeah, we never it. see a deer. It's cool. Yeah, they were having great experiences, and it's like it was it was uh, it was contagious. Like that's where the passion came from. Yeah. That's where that's where the hunting camp community was born, and that camaraderie aspect of hunting. That's what drew was born. us into it. Yes, to to this recruitment side. Which no offense, but if you bring in somebody who has no connection to hunter who says, "Yeah, I'm going to try this," the odds of them sticking with this in today's society, especially, has got to be less than ten percent. <clears throat> yeah, unless they have deep pockets. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Like, go take a new per. We did it, Corey, our sound guy. We talked to you pre-podcast, right? Corey's Corey hunts with Jared, but I wouldn't say Corey's like a dedicated hunter, right? He's a new hunter. We go out to Southern Illinois and we say, "Hey, Corey, we set the stand up. We did all the stuff. Hey, just walking in the morning, public land. He ran into uh, well, hundred yards in, he had a guy f bombing the heck out of him because he was walking by. It was an hour before dark." But because he was set up there and Corey was going to walk by him. And this is a new hunter who to him was like, this, like, do I really want to do this? Mm. The answer is no. They want to do that. I don't know, man. It's a, it's a deep, it's a deep rooted thing that, um, and, and I don't say this to put anyone down from a new hunting situation. It's just, um, we talk a lot about, it's hard for you to relate to uh, maybe even the three of us that are just, we, we've grown up around it. Um, we, I mean, we're just rooted in hunting. We're, it's, just, it's just part of us. When something new comes in in, in a phase, it, it, it can't attach 
to hunting uh, quickly. It takes time. It takes dedication. And I, I don't know if in today's you know society there's enough attention span for a new person to stick like that. I mean, if you look at what's happened to draws, it sure seems oh like they're sticking. Well, you know, in Kansas at least, not again to beat up the opportunity bus, but uh, it, it was fairly easy to draw Kansas archery until they legalized crossbows. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, that's that's definitely what did it. Now, now it's double the amount of applications every year. Okay, but uh, so, Jeremy, you're you're speculating that we maybe we don't need to worry about recruitment efforts mm-hmm. or what I think is has a much 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 bigger than agency or nonprofit sure. recruitment efforts. Sure, is, sure, is media. Yeah, we don't need to worry about media and recruitment efforts bringing more people in because they don't have the attention span mm-hmm. to stick with it. Mm-hmm. And, but if that's so, then why are like draws tanking in throughout the country? Why are things going from over the counter to draw in so many areas? Why are bag limits being reduced? Why is it now that you can't go to Canada and hunt ducks unless you draw a tag when you could go. And even when you draw the tag, you can only stay for seven deer days. Whereas two years ago, you could have stayed there all season. If people don't have this stick then why, why is all that happening? They must have stick to it. What I think is because people are more deadly than ever before. Agree. That's my, that would be my I don't summary think it's too. necessarily directly tied to, to number of hunters as much as it is efficiency efficiency at killing so you know and and this probably ties into a bigger you know uh to your lease land discussion like in canada uh i would assume there's a ton of outfitters taking a lot of what was high quality waterfowl habitat open to the public so there's just less places for people to hunt so you have to give them draws or again you're stacking all these people in a place where they can't fit um, that's a loss yeah, of access. All of this reduced, all this reduced opportunity. And now, you know, I use that word a little differently than you. What I'm talking about is, is when I say opportunity, I'm talking about ability to get a tag. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I think that's all because of increased interest. Hmm. I, I, very possible, Matt. I mean, I don't think that, I don't think that like, in, if you look at what's happened to draw odds for antelope, elk, and mule deer in four west four western states of Wyoming, Colorado, Montana, and Idaho between 2016 and present. It, w- it used to be one and two averaged over all those units in, in the three species. You have 50% chance of drawing now it's one in four wow between so that's between 2016 and 2022 and the number of tags that were being issued didn't decline over that period just more in any noticeable way it, which if, if it was a matter of people being more deadly they would just be issuing fewer tags it was more it was it was more applicants and and if you also if you graph the number of Google searches for hunting shows like Fresh Tracks, Meat Eater, Hushin, 
and a couple others I can't remember against a, on that same axis, the, 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 those two lines mirror each other extremely closely. Sure. So let me ask you this, Matt. That's absolutely true. I mean, dude, look, it's just public land and and the hunting public. I mean, that's the same thing out here. So, you know, I grew up hunting mainly in the late 90s, early 2000s. That that was kind of my childhood in in the high school time frame. You know, I would say back then there was a stat thrown around, but I don't know what it was. 90, 95% of hunters never left their state that they were residing in to hunt anywhere. I would assume that with the advent of media... And the awareness, like, dude, when I grew up in high school, the only time I knew that there were big bucks being killed is when I turned on TNN or whatever it was, right? I mean, or I I got a deer and deer hunting magazine. I had no idea that people killed 200-inch deer in Illinois. Like, it just, it didn't exist in my brain, right? All I knew was Pennsylvania because that's where I was. With the advent of all this media, I think it's opened up an entire world, and I don't know if it's necessarily a good world, to... And Jared and I are guilty of it. It's like, well, dude, we want to go to Kansas. There's giant bucks in Kansas. And it seems pretty easy to kill them. Like, let's go to Kansas. So we get in the car and we drive to Kansas. Well, and, and we know by the tip of our fingers, we can figure out how to do it. Mm-hmm. Right? 20 years ago. 25 years ago. I, I mean, I don't even know where I would have even started. It's not yeah. like Kansas Department of I mean, Wildlife you, was in my... You did that. It was media in my Pennsylvania that. yellow book, you know, there was. Yeah. Media, media could, media did that. And we could argue about whether or not that's a good thing. Media provided information about species of game that were, that weren't being, were, that weren't being overexploited that people could go and pursue. But, and that's one reason I believe why it draws a tank, but there's, media did another thing too okay media media okay so there's one reason why people travel more yep is because they're more they're more aware of hunting opportunity elsewhere mm-hmm. the other reason is because there's less and less opportunity in the state where they live yeah and media caused that mm. media caused that media made a market for hunting land and then rich people bought it up and my proof of that is media itself they admit it you guys just had i saw you guys just had whitetail properties on your podcast there's an example Mm -hmm. they have what they they have a tv show where they show you attractive hunting footage and then they try to sell you the land. Mm-hmm. There's also the hunting land man, another channel. So it's explicit. Hunting content reduces access. Mm-hmm. And that is why people have to travel more to find a place to hunt. Because fellow hunters that work in media have screwed them. So you think on that side, Matt, the the awareness that's being created by that media stuff is basically putting, a, I don't know, a sense of urgency into people to say, ooh, I, you know, I got to buy this or somebody else is going to do it. And that's what's choking it out. Yeah, the emphasis is in completely the wrong place. It, it, well, from my perspective, what I care about is traditional hunting that has defined 
the traditional hunting, like the forms of hunting that defined hunting, the, the, the traditions that have defined hunting in America mm-hmm. till recently, mm-hmm. publicly accessible, non-pay hunting. Are you against land and, ownership? No, I'm not opposed to land ownership. Um, but uh, that's that's what that's what's been good to me. That's the the American way. That's the way it's always been. Sure. But now that's we're th- we've decided to throw that away. The hunting industry has has decided to throw that away. Hunting media has decided to throw that away. The leasing thing and is the interest to throw what away and move towards a private privatization of wildlife. So, mm. like, I, I, I Sitka is in collaboration with uh, with Whitetail Properties. Yep. Uh, Mossy Oak buys and sells land. Mm-hmm. Realtree buys up lands and, and subdivides them and sells them. Yeah. They're, the hunting industry, instead of working on access for everybody, they have decided that they want it to go to small numbers of rich people. Is, is it the hunting industry? And they take the money we give them? them for products. You know, they take the, 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 the money we give them for products and make it so we have fewer places to use those products. That's what they do. So the reason there's fewer acres in in a lot of states and people have to try to travel draw tag and draw travel elsewhere is because the hunting industry didn't fulfill its fiduciary responsibilities so there's two sportsmen there's two things they just tried to privatize it all right matt because i mean it's not like we haven't lost public lands though right i mean the pub the amount of public land in pennsylvania i would assume is the same that it was 25 years ago so i would assume it's more we've had we had to have gained hunters if the issues are more in hand in, in Pennsylvania, it's definitely more public land than there was. And we're, I, I guess it's the loss of you, uh, yeah, but permission you guys are also asset, saying that it's, it's comically overcrowded. Yeah, and that's because back in the day, it used to be that several people hunted on Farmer Jones's land. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yep. And now it's one guy leases out Farmer Jones's land, and he hunts on that. And then, he, but he also leases out f- Farmer Smith and, mm-hmm. and, and Farmer sure. Hoppers and Farmer Keefs, and and that's his buffer land, and nobody hunts that. Mm-hmm. So the leasing side of things, I get, like you know, land ownership's that's land only ownership. one piece of it too. Though we were just talking the other day, like I think liability is as big of a deterrent. For people to let other folks on their land in today's society, in today's society, as leasing, uh, I don't, I don't think so. Like, if you don't have a lot, you don't in Montana. You don't if you're in the block management program, you don't have a lot. There's no liability issues at all, hmm. zero, and still block management, our program that allows public hunting on private lands, is shrinking due to leasing. Mm. So the leasing aspect is, and and our do you, do you think that it's as much individuals leasing as it is outfitters leasing for business? Yeah, both. Well, but so, I mean, these days it's more private individuals. But so Matt, you're you know. you're blaming the hunting industry for for that scenario, basically. I mean, how, yeah, how, how uh, would it the be hunting media? Hunting in media, particular, yeah. It, like showing showing people dead and dying animals on TV and social media. 
That's what you know. That's ad. That's promoting honey. They they implicitly admit it themselves. What's that? Hunting the the hunting land man and and whitetail properties. They admit it themselves that that leads to privatization of wildlife. It takes working lands and creates a market for them. So a place that you used to be able to bang on the door Mm -hmm. or farmer Smith let five people hunt. Now we show you hunting content on the TV. You get excited. You got lots of money. You buy it. You kick everybody else off. And now it's just yours. So, you know, there there were choices. The, the, The hunting industry could have cultivated an atmosphere of, of sharing. They could have worked on access. They could they could have had the idea that I'm now pursuing where you show appreciation, do work projects, and buy appreciation gifts for farmers and ranchers that allow public hunting mm-hmm. through sportsman-funded programs. But nope, we're going to mm. commodify it. Well, that seems like where it's lacking now is because, like, while we see that as well as people who are fired up by a good hunting experience, you know, who who consume that. Like, Jeremy and I are, uh, you know, I'm not necessarily aware of an, another way. It's like, man, if we want to have the best experience possible, we have to buy land. And it's yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we could talk about that. Too. Go, go ahead. I, I got, I got some things to say about that. But I go ahead. And no, I guess I'm just explaining like our, our mindset. Like we are maybe a, a victim, or like we're we're in that environment somehow where it's like, man, we consume that stuff. Like uh, we're excited by it. We want the best experience mm-hmm. possible. We've hunted public land. We didn't like it. We've been kicked off land. We We've want to got, isolate ourselves yeah. from the public environment that exists. What other way is there to do that than to purchase public land other than in some private land private land forgive me um other than some of those programs which we think a lot of like in north dakota we know the the plots plan and i know that that exists probably like in the state of montana and stuff and and that seems like a area that's lacking severely in today's environment uh is per jeremy's original argument access yeah yeah i i just i would i don't think of it I don't think, okay, so a lease, I'm very clear that I just don't have any interest in leasing hunting land. I mean, it just, it turns it into Disneyland hunting. Well, it, what's the difference between a, a person leasing a piece of Farmer Joe's ground for hunting and him... Versus buying it, either. Well, no, him leasing it to this farmer to make money on it, to raise crops and make money, just him. What's the difference between leasing up a bunch of land sitting there and shooting a deer and going by in a steer the recreational aspect all of it the, the whole uh, hunting it's just the, i guess for me hunting is what makes it worthwhile is working hard and having it be an equal playing field mm-hmm. and um and and not bringing my billfold into it. It just goes against the whole point to me. Like yeah. If I'm going to bring my bill. It's like, it's always been a thing for me since I was a little kid of using my wits and equal playing field with everybody else to secure dinner for myself or a set of horns for the wall. Once you bring your billfold into it, it just, it loses, loses, I, I lose the point. 
What do Especially you, what when do you, it's like you're like you are paying to have this all to yourself. I mean, it's just yeah, it's just kind of I don't know. It's, it's tacky. What do you do it, though? I mean, the reality is even without the hunting industry, people own land that inherently have more opportunity than than others. Like what you know, how, how do you undo that? Oh, how do you undo people buying land for themselves to hunt with? Sure. Uh, well, there's ways you could disent- disincentivize it. It could become, I mean, we, it, wouldn't it be nice if the hunting industry wasn't causing it? That would be nice. Well, so what are the ways that you what, would disincentivize what, here, here's it? Here's another thing we could do as a community. We could decide to dispense with hunting social media. Because yeah, I, I mean, that's I'm, a huge driver. That's I'm not a huge driver of this. <laughs> I got to get a bigger land. I got to get a bigger. I got to lease a bigger farm because my buddy Bob got a bigger deer than me, and I got to make sure that that don't have and put it on his Facebook. And I got I can't have that again. So well, see, that comes back lease. to my awareness. It turns thing. hunting into a popularity contest, which yeah. jacks up the value of hunting land. I mean, if another thing we could do if we wanted to turn back the clock on this is. Do away with hunting television as a community. These are so these are some of the steps we could do. Doesn't it seem like you know? it would be a shame though, Matt? Like I mean, I I personally enjoyed that stuff. Like it's you know, yes, long term, it's motivated me to want to increase my access, my opportunity. But my entire hunting career, I've just I've really enjoyed it. It's 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 something that I I like to. Well, it's because you love hunting, and so in the yeah. off season when you can't hunt, you want to watch hunting. Yeah, I just enjoy I just enjoy it. Yeah, but I, I yeah, I, I mean, I, I, there's a lot of things I enjoy that aren't good for me. <laughs> like I used to like smoking cigs. I'd uh-huh. like to have that third whiskey. Um, I'd probably, you know, I'd, I'd like to watch more porn. Um, but nobody it, said just, that's not good for it's you. Clearly, <laughs> it's it's clearly the case. Yeah, and clearly so- the case. I mean, the hunting industry's own actions demonstrate that hunting television and hunting social media reduce access and Mm -hmm. increase the cost of access i'm into this for the hunting i'm not into it for the hunting entertainment i'm not into it for the hunting culture Mm -hmm. i'm into it for the hunting Mm -hmm. so why in the world am i going to do something engage in some activity get lend my eyeballs to an enterprise that is reducing access for me Mm-hmm. and has been since the 80s it is a very interesting perspective i must admit like i'm because we are experiencing that as well like we would love to go hunt iowa we would love that a lot of that's probably driven by the hunting industry to begin with but it's also the reason that yeah and this is your case in point it's taking six years to draw to go do it yeah, yeah. i don't know how i feel about that <laughs> yeah yeah i mean there's a mis- it, it kind of goes back to the you know the the suffering or the 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 grind and anticipation build is going to make it well, that much so here sweeter this, to we've a point. come to embrace that but you right there sound like the guy who's like i love a bunch of guys on public land that is the challenge yeah it's kind of the Which same I, argument i hate with a passion i know yeah i also hate that we don't get to go hunt you know these places that we want to hunt yeah i but here's I, the thing I, honestly we've matt we've never really thought about it if you way. if you rewind social media and you rewind mm. TV to to not be media like it is today, you go back to the late late nineties 
you know, or mid nineties where dude, I didn't even, I didn't even think about hunting Iowa. Wasn't even, I didn't even know. Why would I like what it was, it was completely foreign to me that why I would even go there to do that. Here's the thing though. Like, cause we, we recently have like, I, I guess assess this for ourselves, you know, like a oh, public land sucks. Why? A lot of people are like, well, a lot of people hunt public land because the hunting, hunting public promoted it. I'm like, well, I can't blame the hunting public for promoting hunting. Public. Oh, I can. Okay. <laughs> I, I think that that's incredibly well, rude. Well, but listen, here would be and the then fish and game management agencies hiring them to do it just so that they can like be like, hey, look at me. Aren't I cool? You know, well, but instead I, of being I, mad at the hunting I public, do blame man, them. I, sh- shouldn't how you could be you mad not at, blame them? Shouldn't you be there's mad been at people the lack pro- of There's probably people, they show up at places and hunt them that other people have been hunting for decades. And then those yabatsas show up with a camera and publicize the shit out of it. I just, I, how is that not unethical? Well, my, see, my anger would be more directed at the lack of access itself. It's like, okay, people are interested in hunting. Great. There's very limited places to hunt per the interest that exists. Uh, I think my, my frustration would be towards, uh, you know, the, the, the framework of the seasons that exist, like the technologies that we talked about originally. Okay, make it, make it harder, you know? Get more places so you, to hunt. Okay, but why why don't you think that the, what the hunting public does? You, you think it, but why do you think, I'm trying to figure out why you think that that's a good thing. It just does Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline doesn't seem inherently unethical to promote something that you love to other people. The Hunter Podcast is brought to you by Hoyt Archery. Dude, where would we be without our Hoyt bows? Probably shooting crossbows. <laughs> or, or a Matthews, yeah. <laughs> One and the same. Yeah. But in all seriousness, we love being Hoyt guys because you stand out. When you're in this room full of other people that shoot these other types of bows, I feel like the Hoyt guys just stick out. Dude, it's just a legit bow. I mean, th- th- especially that carbon riser, man. I mean, I-, I know that they've got several other aluminum lines as well. But for, for me, I'm shooting that RX-5 uh, in the carbon model. They've since come out with the RX-7. And uh, I can't tell you how much I love being a Hoyt guy amongst a sea fort of Matthews guys. So we're out there, I think, pr- proving them wrong, shooting 80 pounds and uh, you know, killing stuff. Hey, man, if you want to get serious, get Hoyt. There's, it's, we pretty widely agree as a community that if you take somebody to a place and then they then go back to that place without you, that that's a no, no. Mm -hmm. Kind of like an unspoken role. Uh, and it's even more of an, of a no, no, if you bring someone else to that place. Mm-hmm. Like that's heretical. Mm-hmm. I, in, as near as I can tell, universally so in the hunting community. Agree. But if you bring a camera and show the whole world a place that a bunch of well-intentioned, quiet, 
Mm. Hunters that are doing it for all the right reasons have been hunting for decades. Mm-hmm. You're lauded then as a hero. Mm-hmm. Mm. I, I can see that perspective. Yeah. And I mean, in, in- so that's why I think that people like, I don't I, these gangs, I, the, the, these gangs drive me nuts. The hunting public, the hushing guy. Like, I just don't like it's that. And then, the, you know, the, I don't, I don't, I shouldn't, I'm talking about too many top, but I just hate even saying the names of these little gangs, you know? Um, but then I, I just don't understand how they get to be construed as a force for good. Mm. Uh, I think it's because a lot of people in, at least in the hunting public side, a lot of people watch those guys and say, they're just like me. Well, they're relatable. I think there's a lot sense. of people that don't watch those guys that don't even know of their existence that have had their hunting severely and negatively impacted mm-hmm. by them without even realizing what happened. Mm-hmm. What? Sure. Now I can only get one turkey tag? Why is that? You know? Mm. Or now my favorite wildlife management agency or uh, wildlife management area is a draw? What? Yeah. They don't realize that's because the hunting public were there and filmed a show about it. Yeah. And I guess that would be more of a promotion of a, of a location that is driving that than of hunting itself. I, you would agree. Right. And I, I mean, so there's, that's one and in the same way, in the same, okay. So there's three tiers. There's you, you, you take your buddy to a place someone else showed you his mm-hmm. secret spot. Yep. Then the next tier is what we just described with people going places with cameras. Yep. And then there's people that, and then there's keeping the location completely secret, but publicizing the heck out of hunting and trying to get more people into it. Mm-hmm. In my mm-hmm. opinion, all three of those are equally equally harmful to the existing hunting community that does it for hide horns, meat, and personal satisfaction. Hmm. I don't, I don't, I don't see where those are logically or ethically any different. Give give us the three again, just so I can get it in my brain. The one one that everybody dislikes is you take your buddy to a spot that somebody else showed you. Okay. Yeah, that's an unspoken. Everybody agree, but I don't see the difference between that mm-hmm. and the hunting public going and filming in some state and talking about how, how epic the turkey hunting is in Missouri. Mm-hmm. And in what the if, same way as I don't see a difference between those two things, I don't see a difference between those two things and somebody filming hunting or Joe, going on Joe Rogan's podcast and talking about how cool hunting is. That That's just another way of destroying hunting negatively impacting hunting for the existing hunting community. I am still trying to crowding understand. people out in, 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 in a sense, the people with the camera and the people that go on Rogan or like do hunter, they're almost, they're worse because when you, when you do the thing that we all agree is bad, which is take your buddy to a spot that somebody else showed you, mm-hmm. at least you're not making money off of it. Mm-hmm. With the other ones, you're screwing people so that you can make money. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that that fine line, um, 
And this, man, I don't know if it's misinformation or, or what. So let, let's take uh, let's take the hunting public, for instance. If they are... That's your effect- best example. Who, yeah. yeah. Who's driven more are people they, to are hunt? Are they effectively... Let's say they're effectively hired by a state agency to promote public lands in the state because the state agency says we want more people to hunt those public lands. Who's at fault there? Hunting public or the state agency? Well, I, they, they're doing it whether they're getting paid by the state agency or not. So well, the, the more the more clear-cut cases are where they're not. They're do you think they're the doing thing. it intentionally to make more money? Yeah, but- yeah, the hunting public. But do you think that they have they're another filming option? In places, and they're filming in places. They're state dropping, and they're doing that to make money. They make all kinds of money off. Sure, I mean, sure. But they would also say that they don't have and they public or private places to hunt. So that, that, what is that, Jeremy? That they don't have private places to hunt. They only hunt public because that's the only place they can hunt. Right, which <laughs> makes it. Even worse, right? Hmm. It's a very, I'm like, really starting there's to wrap people my head that are hunting in some little national forest or some little wildlife management area, not because of money, money because they're trying to get money and famous, get make money and get famous like the hunting public people are. But you do understand they're what doing it. They're like. doing it because they actually like to hunt. It's enough. They like hunting enough to do it without a camera behind them. You, and here comes these guys that. Probably the only reason they're interested in the first place is because of the money and the fame, and like, because if that no, wasn't why, why would you that. have a guy? Why, why would you have the, a guy with a camera behind you? I think you know? those guys genuinely love the challenge of public land, and I think that's why people love the hunting public because they're like these guys are ate up with it like me, and so to Jared's point, we can enjoy seeing that third hand. I don't think that they do it for the money and fame. I do think they do it to be unique, right? Because if they just went out and hunted private land and filmed it just like everybody else, then what's unique about them? Nothing, right? They're just another hunting show. Um, if they're not, if they're if they're not hunting for money and fame, then why do they have a camera with them? I think they like to share share it. their journeys. And we're not necessarily defending. I we don't. No, no. I'm just I'm just trying to put myself in a, a per. There's. I don't. I don't. I don't. I'm not that. Why does anybody? Like my view not? of human nature is. Is completely yeah. inconsistent. Well, there are there are the, plenty of oh, people. We're just trying to show the love and the no. and what we do. No, there are plenty no. of hunting people money. that make money, and and I've heard it firsthand. So I got into this industry when I was twenty two years old. One of one of the guys I idolized growing up, watching him on TNN and these things, I overheard at an industry show say, "Yeah, I'm not a hunter. I'm an entertainer." And it, it, it almost, as a 22-year-old guy, broke my heart to hear that from somebody I thought loved hunting as much as I did, right? So there are absolutely people that use hunting as an entertainment way to make money. But I still think that there's a fair amount of people. I mean, yes, Jared and I transparently make money on this podcast, but we don't do it to make I don't need to make a dime on this thing. I, I love deer hunting and I love hunting in general and I love talking about hunting. Does that make me a guy that's thriving off of the monetization of, of hunting? Yeah. I'd rather, I'd, I think we should pivot back to the negative impact they have on other people. Okay. That have been hunting location because I agree with that. If we stick on this topic, all we're going to do is speculate on people's sure, motives. Sure, sure, sure. 
you know, and, and that, that's, that's, those are hard things to adjudicate, but mm-hmm. it's quite, yeah, I, it's hard I, to tease I, apart I, like in my mind. I think it's quite clear that there are many, many people that hunt very, that their hunting is a very f- spiritual, yes, I would private agree. thing that they relish very much that they do in their local community that have been severely negatively impacted by people like the hunting public. And I think that that's a bad thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I I think their intention is all we disagree on. I I don't, and it's really hard to tease apart because it's like, if somebody has a, you know, if, if they are, are producing something like that, you know, and it's, and it's relatable and there's all these things, it's like inherently that comes with some form of income at some point. Like it's, you know, there is nobody that is, has a large following in any space, you know, let alone the hunting space that isn't making some money from that. So it's really hard to say, well, if it wasn't for that, would they still be doing it? Yeah. That's why I said that. Like, I, I don't know. I, yeah. I, I, it was my fault that we got on to this. No, no, no. It's okay. It's a, good, it, are. it's a good discussion to have. I think, I mean, I, so when I, and it was just dumb looking back when I was in high school, right. So in 99, 2000, I filmed every one of my hunts so that I could watch them. I didn't make a dime. They're not on YouTube, right? It, it, although they'd be hilarious to watch well, now. Well, dude, to your point, the number of people that film their hunts that don't get paid for it is I, uh, big. Is big. A lot of people that that do that for fun. I mean, I, mainly so that I could. Relive. I'm not one of them. Yeah, I, I just like to re like. There's there's so much in your mind that you could see, but I like to relive that hunt. Yeah, because it was it was special to me to to a point. It was kind of spiritual to me, so that I want to enjoy those moments again. Like I watched some the other yeah, day. Yeah, I I, obviously I don't have any problem with that. It's yeah. not. It's there's. It's a. It's not damaging other people. Sure. Mm-hmm. No, not at all. It's yeah, when I mean, you start to show other. It's when you start to show as many people as want to look at it that then it becomes damaging. Is mm-hmm. it the media platforms that are the the main issue there though? What media? What do you mean? Like. Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, except I mean they're the platform that's throwing it out there. They're the ones who have sucked this audience in with eyeballs. <laughs> well, we've pointed at three different people now. <laughs> you know, it's the people that are producing the content. Yeah. It's the platform that it's on. They all probably hold blame to a point. Well, I, yeah, I, I don't want to get into censorship. I, I, I don't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't feel comfortable calling up Mark Zuckerberg, who's the worst thing that's ever happened to hunting in my mind <laughs> uh, and saying, will you please dis deplatform de- de- people that put dead and dying wildlife on yeah, social media? I'm not saying from a I, censorship. I, I, I would rather have this be something that we worked on as a community yeah. together. I'm looking at it more from the fact that Facebook just exists, period. Like without, if Facebook didn't exist or, or TikTok or this wouldn't be an issue. Right, there would be. Oh man, man, if 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 we're if we're gonna run counterfactuals, and I think and I enjoy doing that. Yeah, I'm glad you that want to do that. Let's run this counterfactual. (laughs) Not only did Mark Zuckerberg not come along, but the idea of of filming hunting and putting it on television had never never come along. Sure, I believe that. Hunting in America would be more widely accessible 
to people that wanted to do it, it'd be more economically um, feasible for people that wanted to do it. Mm. Dramatically so. Hmm. Than it is now. And all we do is thank the people that made it the way it is. Yeah. Do you think that those early, you know, and I'm thinking back to like uh, like Barry and Gene Wenzel. I can see that, by right? the way. For what it's worth, I can see that. Like, I if, if I think back to Barry and Gene Wenzel, like, uh, do you think those guys had capitalism in mind when they were making those videos? You know, in the 80s and 90s? Well, I started before. I don't know these guys. So they were like two brothers. They grew up in Pennsylvania, moved to Iowa, killed giant bucks. Lived in Montana with, for a long time. Yeah, right? lived in Montana. Killed giant bucks with, with longbows uh, and filmed it. Some, and, some and of had the original like outdoor content creators in the form of books and videos. Educational and, videos of how to find and pattern big bucks and stuff. Like, and monetized it. They uh, Of course, they made money on yeah. it. I just, the hard the hard part there is like, do you did you do it with the intent of I'm going to capitalize on this, or did you do it with the intent of I love this so much I want to share it with people? And of course, the question would be, well, you could have did it for free, but you didn't. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I and, and things things that are not negative that don't don't have an appreciable negative effect at one point. In time that's can true then later have a, a a negative effect then the effect of hunting media has become negative mm -hmm. it's not at some point it became negative yeah um yeah i would agree with people that 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 uh, it that like high quality publicly accessible non-pay hunting so I, let's say let's say that that uh people weren't struck that, that a huge okay the reality in, is in my mind a huge portion of hunters in america are struggling to have a quality experience that they can afford agree mm -hmm. i would agree with so that. Agree. um if that wasn't the case then i wouldn't give a shit what people did mm-hmm you could put up your deer with your Hoyt yeah. hashtag and your freaking real tree, blah, 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 and all that. And I wouldn't, I, I don't care. I think it's tacky to use dead stuff to sell products, but I don't, I'm not going to, wouldn't, it's like, I'd be like, that's, well, it's not something that appeals to me, but whatever, teach their own. It's only because it's negatively impacted so many people mm. that it's worth talking about in my mind do you, do you not think matt that it would have gotten there eventually anyways like all on its own it's like it's hard to imagine yeah it's like i agree that the tv it was all centralized at one point it's okay let's film this let's put it on tv but like within the past whatever 15 years it's you know the world is so connected anyways via text message via any means of like communicating it's like word's gonna get out about these opportunities and you know it's always been the case that you can you can purchase the lands where that happens if it is private land it, it just seems like kind of an inevitable scenario so you're saying in a di for things to be different now we'd have to not only get rid of have go back in time and have got not done the hunting tv but we'd all end the social media but also not done texting 
<laughs> I mean, anything I suppose, streamline any, communication. Any means of communication that's going to, like, clue people into the fact that there's opportunity that exists outside of, you know, where they're currently hunting. I don't know. It's not just the inf- that cluing people in is low down on my my list of things that are have been negative. Let's let's hit let's hit the leasing it's thing. More my I mean, what I think is more negative is is has been you uh that the the, neg- the negative effects of hunting media from an advertising standpoint mm-hmm. like in provoking people to do things using attractive hunting content to provoke people to do things they otherwise wouldn't have done mm-hmm. like so yeah the spot burning thing that's yeah that's bad too but the man get into this be a badass hunter like me um put all your stuff on social media and be the next mm-hmm. big time mighty hunter guy that mode of operating and then you get your own show and all your own products for free and that's what's gotten us where we are in my mind yeah i i agree with that it's it's like it's more than the giving location information it's just bastard media has bastardized our motivations for hunting Mm -hmm. what do you think jeremy (laughs) (laughs) i mean there's so many analogies i look at though like like i could say the same thing about you know baseball like baseball growing up is not anything like baseball is today like i grew up i played legion ball i played local ball like um you know I didn't know who who used what bats or who used what gloves. Like it just, you know, I got whatever was at the local sporting goods shop. Um, to today, where you know parents pay thousands of dollars to have their kids on traveling teams so that they have better training, better chances, you know, and their kids like I grew up poor. Like there's no way in hell my parents would have been able to afford that. So you know. In today's society, I would be at a massive disadvantage no matter what my skill level was just because, I'm going to use the word, opportunity was taken away from me because of these paid boundaries to it. So I just, uh, you know, I I agree. I I think it's happening in hunting. I think it's happening in all types of society right now. You're saying the promotion of something inherently creates a paywall, a barrier to entry. Absolutely. And I think that is true with the hunting industry, obviously. I think it's true with almost everything in today's society. I would agree. It's it's just how it and I mean, where the fine line is and, and I'm very pro, so I don't want to step over it, is is around capitalism. You know, so take leases, for example. If if uh if somebody inherits a piece of farmland, right, and, and leases the, the crops out and then they're like, Oh, you know, I don't know what to do with this and somebody says, Hey, well, I'll give you an extra five thousand dollars to lease this for hunting, why not? Like that's, that's I, think, I think that's more relatable. I think that's more closely tied to the hunting conversation because of the limited resource aspect. Like Matt said earlier on, you can keep building soccer fields. You can keep building baseball. Sure. Anybody can do that. Uh, but well, my, my analogy there was the, the sorting out of the, the different levels of, you know, in that case, income. Because even if the kid at the lowest level of income was amazing at it, his parents can't afford to put him in the multi-thousand-dollar travel league to where he's going to get more coaches' attention, more eyeballs, more everything. 
Sure. He just won't. And that's just reality. I mean, that's your life isn't fair type of a statement. So what's the difference between that and the guy who has that public land versus the guy who buys land? Well, I think what Matt's advocating, not to put words in Matt's mouth, but is like the the promo- the over-promotion that is, uh, of hunting mm-hmm. that is uh, financially fueled by the individuals who are doing mm-hmm. it is what's taking away opportunity from all the people that are could experience it to its fullest potential. And, and I'm, and I'm right. Is basically what you're I'm saying. I'm on board with that. Yeah. Yeah. That that's, I get it. That's correct. And, and I too, but you know, there's some things I struggle with the, with the capitalism thing. Yeah. And, that's and where my I'm big capitalist. hang up is. Yeah. So, okay. I, I believe in private property ownership. Yeah. Just like most people, vast majority of, Americans do, mm-hmm. but we have made a choice. There's two right. There's two counterbalanced rights. Mm-hmm. There's the right to access publicly uh, owned wildlife resources, mm-hmm. and there's the right. That's mm-hmm. codified in the North American model and a bunch of other statutes. Um, the game is owned by the state. Yep. The the, the wild the waterfowl are federal internationally owned. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there's the right of the landowner to exclude. Mm-hmm. We've decided that one of those rights supersedes the other, and that's fine. But I don't think that if you I don't think if you, let's say you were somebody that thinks, I think that the right to access our fish and wildlife should super, supersede the right of the landowner to exclude. Mm-hmm. I don't think that that makes you then not a capitalist. Yeah, I mean, because I think we would agree it's a shared resource, right? The, the wildlife. So there's that, one, that is the there's question. One thing what I, is and what I, isn't? I, I think... A, yeah. There, there's one thing I think about, and then the other one in this domain that I think about is... Oh, these farms and ranches take a tremendous amount of public money. Okay. How so? Well, f- between 10 and 50... 10 and 50... Percent of what do, farm and what do you ranch. Mean farms and ranches. What are you referring to? Like just private. This is a national average. Okay. Farmland and ranch land. So which is where a lot of the game animals sure. are in the country, right? Where these are like the sorts of places that that I'm trying to restore a little bit of access through through mm-hmm. our Hunters for Access nonprofit. Mm-hmm. The these these places, these uh between 10 and 50% of their income comes from the taxpayer. Via what and means? I, I think that that's something that should be considered when we're talking about public access to publicly owned wildlife. Is that through? Certainly, I'm not talking about passing any laws. Yeah, yeah. What, but what, what, certainly what doesn't means? seem like the. It sure, certainly does think that seem like the onus should be on the politicians and the hunting industry to trying to get people access to those places in some way, shape, or form. So, like CRP, preferably through a, preferably through a carrot more than a stick. Mm-hmm. But 
So like CRP being one of those. Well, there's no, there's no, there's no access requirement with CRP. Right, but I'm saying from a public dollar standpoint, going to a private landowner. Oh, oh, there's CRP, EKIP program. Yep. Direct subsidies. Yep. Um, okay. Yeah, I, I completely. So I think we're all in agreement. Let, let's go on the farthest end of things. Private landowner puts a high tensile fence around his property. That is the privatization at the extreme of, of wildlife, right? We're all in agreement to that. High fence is the whole property, encapsulates everything that's inside. Yep. It's nobody mine. in, nobody out, no game in, no game out. That's that's the first level. Because I, I, there's some cases I could see where it's be worse to just have a haven where everything goes. Really? I don't think that's the worst. Well, look at look at look at Montana. Okay. So Montana, there are many, many places here where if you're elk hunting, the first few days those elk will be on public and then they'll all be down on and you'll yeah. be able to watch them in some of our valleys. Five hundred elk out there on this branch mm-hmm. that you can just watch from the mountains. Now, if that was all high wire fence, they couldn't go in there. Right. So I don't know. Well, but what, then you're cutting off the wildlife to what they want. Well, I was going to say that doesn't seem right. What either. it? What it? Well, yeah, but we're talking about the level of privatization. Sure. But are we were talking about what's good for the wildlife. If we want to talk about what's good for the wildlife, yeah. Yeah. That's, oh, that's complicated. That's pretty much because if it was public, a hunting access. preserve that they can run or a, a, a shooting preserve that they can run into. Yeah, but if it was public access, everybody would be down in that valley stirring them up, and they wouldn't want to be there, and then they would. They would suffer from a, a health my, a herd standpoint. My question right? would be, would they even be there if the private landowner didn't put all the money in to plant the alfalfa field or whatever they're at? Well, they wouldn't, but they're not doing that for probably for the elk. Some are. They're doing it for... We are. For, I mean, you're talking about just like not everything that wildlife do is because of people, right? Like they, a lot of it is affected by it. You know, our farming practices, our, our uh-huh. timber practices. I would say almost but everything. A, but a small percentage of it, at a grand scale, is done because of the wildlife, or or directly to affect that. Like you're talking about a farmer planting his field to draw elk to it. Yeah, that happens. Sure. Okay, I, but Jeremy, I, I I interrupted your line of argument. So let's just say, for the sake of argument, that that is the the penultimate form of privatization is putting up a yeah a wildlife proof fence. Yep. Because in, in, in the basis of, I think, what everybody would agree with in this, this country and, and, you know, hopefully in the continent, but uh, is that the wildlife is a shared resource. If that deer is on my land, it's not my deer. It's, it could go anywhere. I'm not containing it, right? Versus the extreme example within tensils is it's there and it's not going anywhere. It's my deer. It's not your deer. It's my deer. It's in the fence on my property. Yeah. So, I mean, that's where yeah. I look at the extreme side, which is kind of funny because that's not even the European model of wildlife, right? I mean, they're not over there high fencing their properties, most of them. Right. They're right. just large, yeah. to your point, I think, Matt, they're just large retreats that they cover so much ground in, in the Europe side of things that, I mean, the animals can run away and they're still on your property, right? Like they, it's not yeah. like it, yeah. that. That's, yeah. and I think you guys kind of have something similar to that out West a little bit because we talk about parcel sizes all the time. I mean, think about some of these ranches out in Montana and Wyoming and Colorado. I mean, 
yeah, that you spook the elk here, they run right to the other side. They're still on your property, right? I mean, they. Oh yeah, there are there are ranches massive. large enough in this state that yeah, the, the herds of elk never leave the ranch. Where my interest would be, and, and again, speculative here, right, is along the same lines as capitalism with those ranches. If states were able to, and this is the fine line, pay those ranches to provide public access. They're still making money from hunting, but it's benefiting the public. Is that all right? That's our that's our block management program. That's the block management program. That's the that, plots and, program. And I many, think. many, many programs that, that are much smaller than block management in many other states. Like mm-hmm. you were mentioning yeah. plots yeah, program. Yeah. The Kansas. Yep, walking. Uh, we we ha program. Yep. We just started a hunters for access chapter in kansas yeah Uh, they're walking programs and we like and we like that matt or no oh we love that absolutely because they're getting paid absolutely that's that's what hunters for access is is what these these buying this buying appreciation gifts and doing work projects we're doing that stuff for farmers and ranchers that are enrolled in these programs okay matt so wait that to me and they're and these are funded by montana the montana program it's the biggest of its kind, six million acres. That's funded by the sportsman. It's fun. It's funded by license fees. Okay. So it's not even just a, t- a tax thing. In that same breath, though, and and I'm I'm playing devil's advocate because I'm in it. I I own businesses. Why would why wouldn't let's just say Montana and I'll pick on Sitka because they're in Montana. Why wouldn't Sitka also contribute to that nonprofit? in order to create more access, thus either more opportunity for more hunters and or better experiences for the existing hunters. I wouldn't be surprised. Because they're too busy selling property with white Well, but I, I mean, I, I just don't know if the message, I mean, is the message being conveyed enough? Because I mean, to me, as a as a dedicated hunter and a guy, I've got sick, all right? Um, like- Well, why does it matter though at the company What do you level? mean? At the company level. Oh, it matters for everything. Because if it's a shitty experience, you're losing customers out the door. So I want to make sure that my... It's a shitty experience. They're, they're hunting. Well, but... The, uh, I think of if if things turn around, and I don't think they will, meaning, I want to be specific, if, if publicly accessible non-pay hunting improved in the next couple decades, which would be shocking to me, it would have to be because... The multi-billion-dollar hunting industry got behind it. Started looking out for the sportsmen, and and I and I'm saying, as a business owner, like why so would I'm I? With you. Why would I not want Jared Prussia to have a better experience? So he's more addicted to hunting. So he wants to keep doing. You it. would. You would. Well, then why do these companies? Are they doing the opposite thing? Because you want me to? Well, uh, because they're advertising to people with money, and they're. That's why. Yeah, but I again, and is it short-sighted then? Because the long-term game is that person has bad experiences and, and stops hunting and he stops buying your gear. I think there's or an she, argument that says that it is short-sighted. I would agree. And I think a lot of that is around uh, capital groups why being you, involved in the hunting why industry. Why would you be surprised, Matt, if that happened, mm. if, those, if those programs continued to grow? Why would you be surprised by that? Oh, uh, okay. So, what I what I meant to be clear is 
not that the programs grew, but that the quality of hunting got better. So mm-hmm. okay. I would be surprised if the, cause, and the reason I say I'd be shocked if the quality of the hunting got better, publicly accessible, non-pay hunting, is because I just never experienced a, a time in my life where it has. Sure. It's always gotten worse. Well, the two would go hand in hand, yeah. right? Like if those programs well, grew. No, because if it brought more people in. Like if if growing hunting numbers are in balance with growing access, then it isn't going to get any better. Or and but, it, that also could be I'm less open, access. I'm, private. I'm, I'm open to that that it would get better. Sure. I mean, I, I'm putting a lot yeah. of effort in. I'm putting a lot of effort into this, of my personal time into trying to grow these little programs, because of a, a faith that it would make it better mm-hmm. for the hunting community. I, I think so we wholeheartedly I, that's my agree. Hope, you know, and I, I would think that as manufacturers, again, it may be short sighted and there's a, there's a deep rabbit hole on the monetization side what's of pay, that. What's paying for those programs now? What, pay, uh, what pays for that? I mean, sportsman's donations, basically donations from individuals. That's what I would assume. Well, yes, if you're yes, talking about the, the plots program and stuff, program that funds. Yeah. That, there's a federal, federal program. Dollars. It's, it's it's uh the it's it's administered by the NRCS. Yep. And like and they and you write a and you you if you work for a fish and wildlife state fish and wildlife management agency, you can write a grant. Yep. A proposal and get funding to help comp to fund these programs where they compensate farmers and That's ranchers where you for get letting plots people on. And stuff coming from. So how do you how do you advocate Well, for that crop? that plots precedes predates this federal money so that might be just so, straight license sales and and that that one i don't yeah probably but i think that in the last decade plots has gotten money from this nrcs program mm-hmm. so the in in the these days and that that program gets funded that's get that's compensating farmers and ranchers for letting people on it gets funded through the farm bill yeah farm bill mm-hmm. yeah but i wish i could remember what it's called but anyway so that's that's a new positive development right there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? So so how would you, how would you advocate for the growth of those then? Like I think we all agree. I, I don't think you. I mean that that goes. That's deep politics. Hunters to where, for access. Yeah. Well, that's what I was going to say. Matt, for, Matt's nonprofit would be the way because on the federal side, through again, donations, we're the five percent on Matt's side. Yeah, donations. It's, it's, it's a donation based. Yeah. Well, okay. Here's what I'm going to go a little one step deeper in describing this. So let's go. W- what we we, our president raised $8,000 last year in the tiny little town of Miles City, Montana. Not Joe Biden. Local businesses. Your president, not Joe Biden. Our president, yeah, John Coons. (laughs) So so he was getting donations from Napa, from the feed store. Like, companies had nothing to do with hunting. Yeah. And then we raffled that all off and then took the proceeds and we bought calf shelters and uh pneumatic fence post pounder mm-hmm. bunch of gift certificates to ranch and farm farm and ranch stores and then you wouldn't have to do it this way but in our state there's seven different hunting regions and in our region in every region they have two block management appreciation dinners this is where our fish and wildlife management agency it welcomes the the participants in the block management program to these dinners as a way of saying thank you for being enrolled in block management. Mm-hmm. And we had a presence there and we gave out all the gifts. Okay. And then 
we went around table to table and said, hey, maybe would you, would you maybe want some help this summer for a day or two around the place? You know, as a thanks for putting up with the hassle of having people on. So, like, I get they're getting paid. Yeah. You know, they're getting not a lot, not as much as an outfitter would give them. But these farmers and ranchers are concerned about just Joe Schmobe having a place to go. So then we, so th- this summer we're doing like eight different work projects. We have a website. People are coming from, people are coming from Washington. People are coming from Utah, Colorado. Yep. Kentucky to come out for the weekend and fix fence and clean up trash and what you name it as a way of saying thanks. And the, the, the ranching community in our neck of the woods have, have proven so appreciative. They've been so touched by this and that's what we're, I mean, that's what we're trying to tap into is that like showing a little appreciation goes a long way. Sure. You know, and you hear these ranchers say that nobody's ever comes, comes to my door to say hi or help or anything until hunting season. And then my note, my, my, yep. my phone never stops ringing. Yep. So we're, this is our way of like trying to simulate the old way where not everybody lived in the city, you know, and people lived out in the country and they, maybe they help with the hay baling hay or picking up bales and then they got to go hunt you know we're trying to bring a little bit of that back through this so you know it's not (laughs) just about keeping people in the program yeah it's also that farmers and ranchers talk to one another and when the hope is when people that are in the program uh say man we had these guys come out last year they were so nice and they fixed three miles of fence then the next door neighbor thinks, well, maybe I should get into that block management program. Mm-hmm. My my outfitter's kind of an asshole anyway, mm-hmm. you know, or whatever. So, can I? Go uh, ahead. I, I've got a I've got a proposed solution, right. but you go. So do I, kind of. Okay, uh, and help me get this thought out cohesively, because it, so it's first of all t- to your, you know, kicking an outfitter off to let somebody on because of kind gestures. I want I wanna. I wish that was the case. I I, I want to like I, I would love for that to 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 be the way that things worked. I just I, it, it's the opposite ninety nine percent of the time, right? Where the guy that's been doing these grand gestures, these really yeah, bailing really nice hay, things, doing whatever, they're they're losing that to people who are willing to pay money for it. It's it's money at the oh, end of the day. Oh yeah, oh it's oh, money. Yeah, for it at the end of the now day. out here. Uh, uh, People do get sick of their outfitters and kick them off. Sure. Let, and go back to block management. Sure. A lot of times because they don't people don't shoot enough does. Okay. And they're like, I can't have this outfitter on here. He doesn't shoot enough does. I gotta get some hunters on yeah. here. So look okay. at the outfitter Props. off. Go back. But you no, Jared, you we are agree. right. It is going the opposite way. And that's why, you know. So, so, like, so I, what about this though, Matt? What I was gonna say is like, what is what's the tax in the state of Missouri? That's where I got you covered. Okay. You tell me it, you ready? Because I'm gonna drop numbers. Well, so on why you. doesn't that just pay for everything? Okay. So here, this goes back. And that, dude, honestly, that fixes like the. This goes back. It's taxing the people and not just from license sales. No, this is everything. So, uh, state of Missouri has conservation tax. Okay. Everybody on this thing says, uh, no more government, no more taxes. Okay. Hear me out for a second. This is state based. Okay. Uh, state of Missouri, I, I'm sure there's other states that have it. They're the one I'm most familiar with. Okay. And I just ran the numbers. We're taught this is a sales test, a conservation sales tax. So that's how they sell 
the 95% of people who are not hunters on this tax. It's for conservation, right? We're conserving Missouri's habitat and wildlife. It is a 0.1% sales tax, meaning for every $8, Missouri Department of Conservation gets one penny. Okay? Doesn't sound like a lot. In 2022, the state of Missouri collected $130 million from that tax. $130 million from a tax that when you spend $8, you contribute one penny to conservation. Everybody does. Everybody. On anything. On anything that's sales tax related, right? So there's certain exemptions to sales tax. Even non-hunting related stuff. Everything. It is a statewide conserv... You tell me that cannot fix our issue, I'll call you full of shit. Because that's it. Because mm. it, mm-hmm. it is money. Unfortunately, the only thing that's going to change this, I wish it was all good heartedness. The only thing that's going to change this is money. And so if... if okay, so yeah, let me just interject quickly because I, I mischaracterized it. That's one That's one thing we're do, is the work projects. But also, if the hunting industry would get behind this, then we're going to be oh, working huge. on that. Absolutely, man. And that's a no-brainer. Like if we could buy everybody in Kansas, every farmer in Kansas, a tractor. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> but but if you even if you could come and I'm I'm gonna pick on leasing for a second, right? Uh, average lease in Ohio, whatever, thirty bucks, fifty bucks an acre. Let's just say fifty bucks an acre. Okay. So for a hundred acres, 25. guys. Okay, guys, pay me twenty five hundred bucks for a hundred acres, right? The state has this tax money in their pocket. That's nothing. Do you know how much land that they could lease for open public ground? I totally agree. That's what we're getting at here. Well, and honestly, due to our whole conversation earlier about like the hunting industry driving the privatization of wildlife, frankly, I and I don't know, we may get some heat for this, but like it seems like they should uh, there should be a more severe tax on those goods and services. Yeah. That would fuel, you know, the An the purchasing of public access. An offset. An offset. This tax, in my opinion, if collected right, and I mean, you're going to need lobbyists because everybody when it gets set, we're talking one penny. I know there's only 5% of us out there, but if we got behind state-based bills that said, you know what, pass that 0.1% sales tax, that one penny per $8, and you're going to have a hell of a much better hunting experience in your well, state. Well, does the state of Missouri, what do they spend that money on? Yeah, it's uh, Dude, they have the biggest piggy bank in the world. They don't spend it, unfortunately. They do spend some, but they don't spend much. I bet that they, I don't know what their slush fund is, but it's its probably I mean, in the billions. If that's the case, it seems like Missourians have more to be frustrated about than anybody. It's like you have the money to buy us back access from pub, from private land. They're sitting land, on a slush fund, man. Yeah, and they're not spending it. They, they have programs. There are some there are some uh, co-op type programs too, but it's not mainly because I bet they don't. I mean, you need somebody on the ground that's going and knocking on the door and say, "Hey, you know, I don't know what your hunting situation is on this. I'm not guy coming to lease it. I'm from the state. We're willing to pay you just like a CRP, right? Think what it think of the conversation you have to have with a guy to take his tillable ground out of production into CRP. It's not an easy discussion. You've got to put a substantial well, amount of money. In, well, in front the, of the farmer goes to the NRCS about that. Like yeah. that's, it's the farmer going, you know, because he but knows yeah, he's going to get what, more, ca- more I, than cash my, rent. My best friend's brother is the guy that does this for Region Seven. There you go. Is the one that that goes to, 
I mean, most of these ranches are in it year after year after year. Yeah. So you're going to say, hey, you want to renew your renew contract it. this year? Yep. Yeah. But, That's recurring uh, revenue for them. Why not? Yeah. So I, I've told you my idea, and I, I believe in it enough to actually try it, is to try to leverage the hunting industry. Like last year, we raised $8,000 $8, in Mile City, a town of 9,000 people. Now our team has grown, and we're going to start trying to raise more money by just calling up companies and saying, Here's, "Yeah, will you contribute to this? So, And then the work <laughs> projects. But yeah. there's just some other create and those that's where I'm staking my claim and I don't have any bandwidth to do anything more and than Matt, that. You could get but, the manufacturers like, like behind you, man. I, you could get the manufacturers what? behind you. You just can't shit talk them anymore. <laughs> oh no, that's I know, I know, but it's like I get it. I understand. The, but you know have, what I'm saying. We have internal discussions about that all the time. <laughs> I'm not saying about, you're wrong. I'm just saying yeah. that from from the the guys who are gonna control the financial buckets. Ultimately, they're going to say, I'm going to give what to this jackass, right? That, that's well, the conversation that's going to come across. But they, I think you're meaning to be well. treated like They need to be treated like the toddlers they are. When they poop in the potty, you clap your hands for them. And when they throw applesauce on the wall, you you reprimand them, you know? Yeah. Like if, 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 if some big hunting brand that I have a lot of problems with gets behind this, donate some money to it or sends out a volunteer crew there's not going to be they did the right thing however it's going to just be look at them doing the right thing you know yeah um plus they get to say it on their own platforms mm -hmm. they get to say we helped out and which you know, i think is two great separate things at the end of the day i think there, I... there are two separate things at the end of the day there's hunt quietly and there's sure there's the then, then, and there's hunters for access and, and i'm not the president of any i i'm i'm not i'm the vice president of one chapter of hunters for access so yeah um but like here's so we got that idea floating around but what about and i like your idea about with the tax this, this i mean that's a big uphill tax battle that would, right would I bring mean... up what What's that? It's a big uphill battle because it's taxes, it's lobbyists, it's legislature. I mean, it's all the shit that nobody wants to right. get involved. I mean, Skip Sly is one of the great guys of in the lobby business right now or knowing the right people to say, hey, dude, how do we get this on the table? Because this is huge well, for hunters. Who, who wouldn't want that? A lot of people. It's it's taxes. It's, it's the same people when I say you have to buy a hunting license. They say, screw you. Government can't tell me well, what to do. See, and obviously, people don't want taxes, but it, and it makes a lot. It would make a lot of sense to me if, like, a majority of that came from the hunting industry that's driving demand for hunting to begin with. Well, doesn't it? I mean, that that goes back to like Pittman Robinson dollars and things like that. In terms of those are taxed goods for conservation. And so, how is this different? It's just this it's is on a this is on everybody. The, and the so who, everybody so who has Pittman, Pittman Robertson. Everybody, everybody, every state gets PR dollars. And what does that, that money get spent on? Federal dollars. Because the same R three, yeah. That's what I'm saying. Is it seems like this is where <laughs> the money needs spent to be on spent on R three. He's not wrong. <laughs> what? Oh, so I know no, I, it gets it gets it gets spent on conservation projects. R three. Yeah, I don't research. Uh, I don't think, everything. Yeah, I mean everything not a state access. agency would do. Not usually not access. In fact, in Pennsylvania, we're using a lot of our oil and gas money to buy new access to buy new game lands and stuff. As it should be. As it should be. How about this one? Here, how about this one? Public, public 
access for public money. You want that? You want that hundred and eighty thousand dollars for your new pivot? Um, how about you allow a little public access? Yeah, a hundred percent. Dude, we're fully on board with that. Way more than I am. Like, I like we covered a lot early on in the conversation about like getting mad at people at promoting hunting, getting mad at people for buying hunting uh, or land so that they can have exclusive access. I'm not so much on board with that. I'm a hundred percent on board with there's so much private land that people could be financially incentivized to give back to the public that I am a hundred percent in favor of. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. That's that one just seems like a no brainer. It seems like a no brainer happen. (laughs) Yeah. If you're going to take a bunch of money from the public for your farming Hmm. operation, at least let them come on and do a little hunting, you know? Well, what would what would motivate? What that would have to be legislated, and then the farmer has a choice. You can you can be like, yeah, I can, you know, I can either continue to irrigate out of a ditch with this tarp and keep everybody off, or I can get one hundred eighty thousand dollars for this pivot from the EKIP program, yeah, and um, have to let a little hunting on. Now, see, I like that a lot more, Matt. Than the hunting community having to make the decision around: Do I promote, you know, whatever it is we talked about earlier? I I way prefer that where the 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 landowner has the decision now: Do I want to continue to keep people off and not make that money, or do I want to accept the money and make it publicly accessible? That makes a lot of sense. Well, yeah, and but the way it is, yes, and what the way it's been for since time immemorial is you, the farmer and the rancher gets the bu- best of both worlds. He gets to exclude everybody and he gets all the subsidies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hmm. We're, we're talking about Jeremy, how to, how to motivate that. Like how, how do you motivate for that sh- shift to take place in terms of just like opening so, access or like, well, no. So like what Matt's saying is like the landowner has the best of both worlds. They get to, collect you know this whatever you know this large percentage of these public dollars for their equip program yep, for CRP, CRP. Mm-hmm. and they get to lock it down uh for private hunting rights you know it's i lock it out how, i mean there are how do you how do you and hire an outfitter yeah there are programs money there and i i don't know um i'm not sure exactly which ones they are but i take that back uh in pennsylvania it's the game co-op program you know what i'm talking about where uh, yep. so those game co-op programs are effectively what we're talking about here, where game commission comes in, pays that landowner to open up their private farm to either all types or certain types of hunting. Um, they can't collect the money, right, without having the land wide open to public hunting. That that's the stipulation. So why wouldn't you do the problem with the problem with the C, like CRP and stuff is now instead of you know, the wildlife and access program is as much a it's probably more a state issue than it is a federal issue. And so when you have CRP and farm bill stuff on the federal side, I don't think they give two shits about what happens from a state access standpoint. And that gets even more effective as you go east of the Mississippi. Like when you get to Ohio, like, I mean, federal ground, I mean, there's hardly any federal land to hunt in in Ohio, mm-hmm. right? It's state land. Well, shouldn't that be the places where f- the federal government should be most incentivized to have 
You would farm think and ran, so? Farm money come with strings attached? You would, would be in places there's no access? You would think so, Matt. My only concern there is most land that I see, let's put it this way, the best public land that I see is managed by the state, not the feds. And, and that's in the east, right? I'm, I'm, I'm not as familiar or, or familiar at all in the west. In the eastern U.S., the best hunting land for success and, and just habitat is managed by the state game agency. Um, the feds are not managing that land very well. Oh, wait, okay. Uh, I don't think I'm being clear because I'm not talking about the fed. When I say it feels just to me mm-hmm. that if you're going to accept a bunch of subsidies yep. and you're a, a farmer rancher, that there would be an expectation of some reasonable public access. I would agree with that, 100%. No, I'm not talking about the hmm. federal government managing the guy's farm. I gotcha. Okay, okay. You're just saying providing pure access to it. Yeah, some hunting access. I think think that's an absolute, um, yeah, I think that's a huge piece of it. Here's the problem, and I think this is why the federal government hasn't done it, is that a large percentage of private landowners would pull out of those critical programs for habitat and riparian buffers because yeah, but that hunting stuff is more has important. Chump changed compared to where they get most of their money. I still most think, of it is not CRP. Yeah, most of it is like bailouts when there's a there's a when it's some commodity takes a big yeah um yeah 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 dump see i'm looking at it from like so like if uh jared and i own a piece of ground in illinois that has crp right and we're using it for our own and and you know transparently we're not letting anybody else hunt there if they came to me and said hey jeremy we have to take the 60 acres or whatever which is substantial eighteen thousand dollars or so nineteen thousand dollars a month out of uh out of crp unless you add a year you know have yeah a year unless you let people hunt it i'd be taking it out because of the price of the property, the value of the property overall. Well, there's different, all kind of different scenarios. Oh, yeah. I, 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 right. But, I mean, also, if uh, if if it was like 2019 or 2020, and all of a sudden cattle prices tank. Yep. And it's, you, you know, you want a $300,000 bailout? Yeah, I agree with that. Hundred, which I think is probably a more common scenario. Yeah, I mean, I'm not opposed to the CRP thing. In fact, the fact where we're at, I mean, some of these CRP levels are you know two fifty, three hundred dollars an acre per year. I'm not opposed to saying, hey, listen, if you're going to take this money in exchange, you have to provide uh, public access or or you know something. It's it's tough though. But I share your concern, Jeremy, about you wouldn't want to have conservation programs the enrollment and let's drop like you say crp drop yeah it's critical like i say there's a lot of farm subsidies that aren't related to conservation yeah that that i think is where you have to piggyback that matt because yeah i mean like i mean we're already losing habitat at a massive rate if you start hurting more riparian areas and things because these incentives are being crippled by you know a contingency basically then yeah i mean we're screwing our wildlife even more than we are now (laughs) A hundred percent agree. Yeah. Where I think it would be most politically palatable 
would be in western states where a lot of these ranches are basically like a a a donut of private land with a huge chunk of publicly owned land in the center. I would agree with that. Yeah. And those ranchers are getting a screaming deal on the yep. grazing rights. Yep. In in those in those uh landlocked public lands. Like yeah. In AUM, I don't know, is like it, what you pay on the on the public market for an AUM, uh, animal unit month grazing is way more than what they pay to graze really? their livestock on land owned by you and me. Yeah, and see that else. that I think is bullshit. I mean that that right there is, you know, the fact that you're paying me a minute amount under market value. We talk about market value so much. And there are no benefits returning to, frankly, and I'm, you know, I'm I'm not against cattle, but the fact is cattle do some significant damage to nat- natural habitat as well. The fact that your cattle well, yeah, are yeah, they're on ben- that, you know, they're be- also beneficial they are. in a lot of places. They are, absolutely. Uh, but, so, but the fact okay, that there's no yeah, mutual here's the thing, it's like not only do they do that, but then they hire an outfitter and he gets to outfit all that public land in there. Yeah. And he gets money. I'm not, I'm not, I, first of all, that I'm completely against that. I don't understand how that flies, right? Because nowhere in the Eastern U.S. can you lease, outfit, guide public, like public land like that. Like you can in the West where you can lease mm-hmm. public land. You could keep people. Well, it's not, the, you're, no, 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 you're not, you're not leasing the public land. So what are you leasing? If I wanted to fly into this land in a helicopter, okay, I could hunt it. Okay. Even if there's an outfitter working it, okay? Yeah. The outfitter leases the ranch surrounding it. Gotcha. To get access. And now, in effect, he has exclusive access to these landlocked pieces because mm. it's the only way in there short of flying into it. But isn't it still a little bit ridiculous that the outfitter can make money what? off of the public oh, land that's mine? patently ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, that's and, where and, I have a little and, bit of it. doesn't restrict... And, it doesn't and the farmer, from hunting it, I mean, though. and the rancher, yeah. the ranchers can charge that outfitter more if there's more, the more landlocked land there is in a ranch, sure. the more the rancher's going to get from the outfitter. Yeah. Well, so go back to your tax aspect of things. I understand that. Like if, if you're on an outfit, like you went on an outfitted hunt in Colorado, hunted public land, other guys could have walked in right on right. you. It keeps other outfitters out. But the out, what it does. but the outfitter made money off of you. That should be a much more stringent tax to conservation, right? He made money off my public land. He not known it. Who told him he could do that? Well, but anybody can hunt it. Like all, all... yeah, but not everybody's making money off of it. He is. Yeah. So I don't. I don't take a big. I don't take a stance against outfitters no. outfitting on on public land because they're not locking me out of it. Mm-hmm. I, I agree, except for the fact that they're making money on land that is owned by the people, and they're not bringing anything back to that. Over oh, they the pay top. a bunch of money. They pay a lot of money for those, for those um, leases, license permits. I don't think they call it a permit. Yeah, yeah. So how do they keep yeah. other? So they're getting exclusive they the boundary. Yeah, I mean it's, it's no, no, no. They're not getting exclusive. It's anybody can in Colorado. They I, are. I have a place that where I hunt 
where my I usually set up my camp a mile and a half from an outfitter. Mm-hmm. But are there other out, or can it's uh, outfitters? So like this elk hunt I did in Colorado last year, it's like the outfitter has a permit. And okay. It, and it's a long-term permit. It's like they have it until they sell it. It's like a liquor license. And they have yeah. ex- they have exclusive uh-huh. ownership, not to keep public out, but to keep other outfitters out. That's their block of... So is that money being used to gain more access to they, public? They pay a lot for it. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, should that... It, because well, I mean, not, it all goes back to what is the state spending our money on? And basically. I'm not knocking the outfitters, but the fact that they're in there, you know creating probably a more successful hunt than the do-it-yourself guy. Like, mm-hmm. that money should be used to get more access for the people. That's a, I don't that's, know that it's not. I don't know. I don't think... I think it goes into the general treasury. Hmm. It's a slippery slope, and it, and man. It's, and it, we're talking about federal land here. Right. So I think it's going into the federal treasury. And it's gone. And it's gone. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, and again, I have nothing against the outfitting side of it. It's just, it, it's a slippery slope when you start to talk about public lands being monetized by, you know, a private entity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it's just, it, it becomes, and, and so I say that in like, if I'm only a do-it-yourself elk hunter, right? Like I would love to have. I'm. Are there areas where outfitters don't have blocks? Like there's, there is no outfitters. It's only do-it-yourself people. Probably there is. Probably few and far between. Probably, 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 there probably there varies de- by well, state. Yes, there are definitely chunks of national forest. I shouldn't say it that strongly. I'm pretty dang sure that there's chunks of national forest in Montana that don't have an outfitter. Yeah. Where there's, where there's not an outfitting license. I don't know. I can't hardly. I can't hardly criticize because I sometimes will hire a, a like a spear fishing guide or yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I mean the waters thing is another. Take, yeah, that's a whole different. Anything I wouldn't hire one to take me in a place that no one else could go. Sure, because that would make me the biggest hypocrite <laughs> on the planet. I'd, I'd pay the them more if they I'd would take, take me there, though. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's it's. I just say it because it's you know. It ain't much different than what the industry's doing when the guy is using public lands to make a living. Well, yeah, but I'm more concerned about the consequences of people's actions. You know, like, it's not like that makes it, if a guy has an outfitting permit on National Forest, him running his business doesn't make it so you can't go there. Mm-hmm. Does it make it tougher for me to be successful, though? I don't know because it's hard to say because maybe those same people would be out there anyway. Mm-hmm. It's, I, and I'm I'm coming from an eastern side, right? Yeah. This is like a hundred percent foreign to me. If somebody said, "Hey, so and so's guiding on, you know, whatever game lands," this I'll be like, "Go kick his ass!" Like that, I, you know, that's I, you can't do that. Just shit. my very limited experience. I, I don't think that it does. I mean, the, the outfitter that that we did the elk hunt mm-hmm. with is like they're they're very like you know they don't own anything they just they have the permit there but like mm-hmm. lots of other people hunt there and stuff and they help people frankly probably help more people than they hurt sure. by helping them pack stuff off and it's yeah well i'm alex rodriguez and i'm jason kelly from bloomberg this is the deal each week you're here is in conversation with business icons this show will explore deal making across sports media and entertainment 
That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. You know what, this is all toilet bowling around, is the fact that we all don't have the transparency we need to know where those funds are going. I mean, okay, they're going to federal treasury. Uh, Did they ever end up back to doing good for conservation? I don't know. Well, we can see for sure where it's lacking, which is public access to private lands and the ability to pay private landowners for it. Mm -hmm. I'd say that's nationwide, especially where there's a lot of private. There's a lot of criticism. There's a lot of criticism on the uh, on the nonprofit side. I think uh, National Wild Turkey Federation has been really blown up lately to where's all the money going? What are you doing with it? Yeah, what are you doing with it specifically? You know, and I know you can't tell oh, me down paying, to- paying some high dollar salaries. That is for sure. I saw some like their top people. Oh my god, eye popping salaries. Well, so yeah, I'm not saying like down to like oh we took Jimmy on a hunt necessarily, but like what what are you investing in? What where is this dollar? And as that being a nonprofit and a, and sportsman's funded type of thing, shouldn't we know? <laughs> Matt's gonna hate it, but I'm sure it's promoting turkey hunting. <laughs> Yeah, I'm probably. Oh, they they have a huge R three, yeah, agenda. Yeah, they spend t- like I I wish oh man I wish I had this because I I don't somebody just told me how much they spend on R three. Yeah, but it's crazy uh, on a yearly basis, and it's a it's a, a ton. They also spend a bunch of money trying to pu- pu- privatize hunting access. Hmm. No, that I mean, said, I'm bunch, pretty. But they write articles. Yeah, they write articles about how to find your hunting lease. Yeah, you know, it it's uh it's mm. interesting when you get into that because that's the one thing, and it's not just on on budget. It, it's you know uh, we've talked about it with harvest data and stuff. It's it's the lack of transparency in a lot of these um, these companies or or state agencies or even federal whatever it is, uh, and and I understand why. It's because people will overanalyze and misinterpret, but. The fact is, if, if it's a, especially if it's a publicly funded agency or, or organization, we deserve to know or see. And yeah, maybe some people are going to misinterpret it, but can, so what? Can, can I just, I think what Matt just said there was really interesting. Like the, the NWTF is like advertising or writing articles or producing content about how to acquire hunting leases. Mm-hmm. And it's, and we're saying that's, that's creating a problem. That's more privatized land why would they yeah, they're yeah, on one hand they're like we need more yep. hunters yep and then the other hand they're like trying to show you how to like yep. instruct you on how to privatize hunting land so so why I would just they found do a, that? one of their articles uh this well, well, Matt, listen, though, somebody named let, let, here listen to this real quick though, Matt. why would they do that over advocating for this conversation that we're talking about which is how to spearhead purchasing back private lands what what is the difference why would they do that over the other i don't there's some things i understand 
like I feel like I understand and there's some things I don't. I understand why the hunting nonprofits are all on board uh, with R3. It's because they get a lot of money from the hunting industry and they are the advertising arm for the hunting industry. Mm-hmm. They give the hunting industry, the hunting industry gives the nonprofits, the Wild Turkey Federations, the backcountry hunters and anglers, the REME, REMEFs, et cetera, et cetera, money, Ducks Unlimited, Pheasants. Yep. They give them money. To promote hunters and come back and keep buying products. And then they, yep. they, those outfits bring more people into hunting so that the, the nonprofits can, or so the industry can sell them products. Mm-hmm. So that's, they're not, they're not donations. They're advertising dollars. Then there's some things I don't understand. Like why in 2021 did the North American Tech Turkey Federation publish guide to leasing? Sometimes you got to pay to play. I don't know. Seems like they should have been working I mean, on public. From access. my perspective, it seems like lack of uh, d- direction or, or or know-how. Like we don't even us. We've been sitting here for two and a half hours trying to figure out how do you, how to spearhead the purchasing back of or or where do the funds come from? What kind of programs would be wrapped up in purchasing back public access on on private lands? It's certainly not as clear cut as make more money by the land. Yeah, at some point I go like. I've staked my claim. I'm telling you, I've told you what, what I'm doing. But at some point, I'm like, you guys caused the problem. You figure it out. Yeah. Well, I mean. You figure it out. You guys are the ones, you guys being the hunting industry and the hunting celebrities and the nonprofits, mm-hmm. you're the one that has made it so that it's like laughable to think that anybody's going to have a quality experience in a large swaths of this country. when they go out hunting, you're the one that's made it this way. You figure out how to deal with it. Well, and they're the ones who should instead, pay the like, lobbyists I have to po- for the tax. I have, I'm engaged in trying to point out that they've created a major problem for, in terms of hunter satisfaction. And I'm having to try to come up with band-aids to fix it. I'm yeah. like, you guys f- figure out a way to fix it. <sighs> the, you know? the, un- the unfortunate reality is, like, I would I would bet that they don't care nearly as much as, like, as we do. Well, the see. Pe- the, or I would even say the people that are left without mm-hmm. access. Like, I mean, dude, there does come a point where people are so, like, it, it, it is, it's a business for them, and it's just a business. And when that goes away, they'll find another way to make money. They'll just go to another business, mm-hmm. and we'll be left here with no access, with no hunting opportunity what all, at all. So as much as I kind of feel that same way, Matt, as you guys figure it out, it's like we're the ones that are affected. And so, like, it's... It yeah, and like, this is the short-sightedness, right. though, that, that that's the major issue because what what everybody, and we've talked about this, but what everybody is failing to acknowledge here, because, and, and transparently we are too in this conversation, focusing on there are too, there are too many hunters for the access we have. The experience that the hunters in, in today's atmosphere are are getting is trash for the most part. Unless you're in these private lands and things like that. From a public it's trash. We are at the cliff where all of a sudden we're gonna wake up one day and I don't know if it's gonna be ten percent or if it's gonna be thirty percent of the hunters are gonna fall off of it. Because they're gonna say, Why will I keep do like cut you know, fool me once, you know, shame on me type of thing. In the fact that I, over and over and over again, I'm repeating the same thing, which is a miserable hunting experience. And whether they're seasoned or they're new, 
they're going to say, forget it. And and if you look at so, the one thing about social media is you get the information. Look at social media now. There are a lot of people that said, you know, I quit hunting for this reason or I stopped hunting for this reason. And we're at that edge. You put, this was the thing. I warned people about this when we had COVID. Everybody celebrated, to your point, Matt, you know, watch the people who celebrated. Celebrated, man, we got all these hunters. I said, you can't put them anywhere. And it's a time bomb. And that time bomb is going to explode when everybody finally wakes up and realizes, man, hunting sucks. All I do is run into guys. People <laughs> yell at me. I don't see anything. I don't kill anything. Right. I can't go anywhere. And they're like, screw it. I could do, I could spend my money and time elsewhere better. Boom. Overnight, we're going to lose where you want to see a drop in hunters. It's going to come. And then all these businesses and all these people that benefit from hunter numbers, including agencies are going to say, oh shit, now what? Yeah. And it's coming like a freight train. The, well, and I welcome it, you know. It's crazy to think that. And I mean, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm I'm, I'm with you. Like that's, that is the, and again, all of the doomsday people out there are going to say, oh, shame on you guys. Like the moment that happens, hunting as a tradition is, is going to go extinct in this, get the hell out of here. You're, you're full of shit, right? Just, just stop with it right now. Um, and it, and it's not selfish. People say it's selfish. It's the fact that. For the people who will be left, it's like a deer herd. If a deer herd comes in and gets hit with EHD, it seems very traumatic, right? But three, four, five years later, the herd that made it through and rebounded is the healthiest it's ever been because there's more resources available to them. Mm-hmm. That is a fact. That is how nature works. And it'll be the same way with this. It'll be a, a major shock to everybody and to a lot of people's pocketbooks, you know, a lot of businesses, a lot of agencies. But ultimately, the people that made it through, damn. You want to talk about golden years? What, what, do you, what do you both think about, like, it seems like the biggest fear of that happening would be, like, the unknown of, like, the, the threat of the non-hunting community. It seems like the only argument that somebody would There's have— There's no threat there. —to say— No? No. For, Does that— Is that not the one that's most widely promoted? No threat there. I don't think there's any threat of it. I mean— somebody's going to come to your private land and say, Jared, you can't hunt here. Sure. Just the same way they're going to say, I can't carry a gun. I can't have a second amendment. No, it won't stand. I don't care if you're the 3% of the U S it won't happen. I would agree, but I'm not making that up. I mean, that's, that's what they tell you. That's what they tell you. That's what they tell you. It's not true. I don't fear it. The hunter podcast is brought to you by stealth cam. Dude, where would we be without our cell cams? I would definitely be divorced at this point. <laughs> yeah, I hear that. I mean, the fact is, is I spent more time checking cameras than I actually did hunting prior to cell cameras. Now, at least my wife can enjoy me being in the comfort of my own home, buried in my phone, checking those pictures. Yeah, 100%. And dude, when it comes to uh, trail cameras and definitely cell cameras, reliability is, I think, the number one thing that we're looking for. Stealth Cam just has a long reputation of reliable cameras, and ultimately, that is the most important thing to us. They have to work. In terms of reliability, there's not a better camera on the market than Stealth Cam, whether you're talking about the Fusion X, the Reactor, or the DS4K Transmit. And most of them are under 200 bucks. Stealthcam.com. Check them out. What's caused hunting bans is in recent years is is social media. Yeah. It's been directly, directly implicated in hunting culture. It's been right in your face. The people who well, have no okay, interest you know in the, hunting. Do, do you know the 
do you know the examples? No. I could excite some specifics. Yes. So you can't you can't spear bears anymore. Yeah. In, we just had him on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we just had Josh buddy. on. Yeah. Um, her buddy. <laughs> and you can't hunt grizzly bears in British Columbia anymore. Yeah, that's an that uh, was an interesting one. Uh in Australia, some of their hunting they're they're getting close to just doing away with the hunting entirely. And, and some of that is is social media invoked mm. um self-imposed shit that we've done to ourselves they did to themselves the honors there did to themselves and like you type in hunting social media controversy and you'll never stop reading because yeah there's uh, it's it's the, it's one of the single that things being, that's ruined hunting because it's made so, everybody who didn't even know what hunting was or didn't even think about it, it's put it at the forefront of their brain in a lot of cases. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or watch the women who kill lions. Exactly. These two, these two, yep. yeah. So Somebody posing with mind, a giraffe. I, I think that the argument that growing the hunting community is dangerous for our rights because more hunters means more people putting dumb shit on the World Wide Web I agree. is every bit as powerful as the argument... Hmm. That more <laughs> hunters protects our rights. I, I agree. Get, I think it's a great argument. I think it is too. Yeah, I have no doubt, man. It, it, and it's um, yeah. For so for a lot of those reasons, yeah, I don't feel threatened. the The only thing that I feel um, feel that could threaten hunting would be, and it's a weird kind of twist on it, would be uh, wildlife diseases. If like a chronic wasting, you know, show to jump into humans or whatever it would be. Sure. At some mm. point, there would be a massive a government would get involved. Hunting is at risk at that point. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it gets real messy. But that's obviously not being advocated by the hunting industry, though. It's, it's like it's no. Thing. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. Not, the hunting industry didn't cause CWD. Some no. people might disagree, but yeah, no, it did not. But it, that would be that jump. You know, some sort of of uh, you know human existence threat yeah. type of thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, at that point, yeah. But but in terms of numbers or or anything like that, I mean, man, they got the politics got too many other fights to pick on, you know. <laughs> like it's between the the, you know, the second amendment battles and and gun control, I mean, you know, yeah, what would hunting be affected by that? Very little. Um are we advocating for gun No, we're not advocating for gun control, but the eyes are on that more than it is on us guys who are out hunting. For sure. Yeah. I mean, yeah, there are people that really do worry about it though. I know. Yeah. And do you think it's cuz they love it so much or cuz they're they, that's how they make a living? Uh, <laughs> see that I, that I, I can agree with. I I don't know, but I I I've talked to people, I talk to people and I email with people that just reach out to me, you know, through the because po- of the podcast that don't make, don't appear to make money off hunting that are very concerned about anti-hunters. So mm-hmm. I, I just, everybody's got their own threat assessment mm-hmm. of, you know, my, and it sounds like, and I think that that's fair Jeremy, like your threat assessment is like that some catastrophic whitetail disease comes along because, mm-hmm. you, you know, in mine, I think the threats are 
are from within. I think the threats are. The yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't argue with that in the hunting industry. Sure. And then, and some people think that the threats are the antis. Mm-hmm. So I. Yeah. Well, it's a weird thing. Like, it, take the antis for instance, and this is kind of a, you know, a, a weird. T- there are, um, you, you know, obviously, just use the biggest one. Use PETA for an example, right? Uh, I don't think the three of us would condone somebody uh, neglecting and beating a dog, would we? No. No. Mm-mm. Of which PETA also would not go for. Now, there's obviously some crazy-ass shit that PETA says that we are like, yeah, I don't think so. Like, you're you're off your rocker. But there's weird kind of... cut. The, the thing that I think um, gets us by on the, uh, the anti-hunting standpoint, right, is the fact that we, the hunters, fund conservation in this country, uh, which is is most of those people who are like crazy about wildlife and like don't shoot the bears, they haven't paid a dollar to conservation in their damn lives. Nothing. We fund conservation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Bears thrive in areas. Moose thrive in areas because of us hunters, sportsmen, conservationists. Mm-hmm. We're way more conservationists than they'll ever be. That that is our shield against them. Now, okay, I want to ask a question yeah. about that because I want to understand this. There was a time where it was, if if the if the sportsman hadn't st- stood up and or and uh, Pittman Robertson hadn't come along, we wouldn't have been able to save wildlife like when wildlife populations were extremely depleted yep. because of DDT yep. and overhunting in the thirties and, and brought a lot of wildlife populations back from the brink. Mm-hmm. But like in the modern era, it just seems like all you need is hunting. Okay. I don't believe this, but I, I could, but I flirt with the idea that all you need is that these wildlife populations don't need to be propped up by money constantly where am i where do they where why are why okay where are wildlife getting money paid to keep them alive year after year where is all this money like it's not i think it's regulation i mean that's i look at a deer in the mat uh, let's say i'm i look at an elk in the crazy mountains Mm mm-hmm would he go away? No. If there was less conservation dollars, is, does he need thousands of dollars of conservation money every year to keep him alive? No. Um, but the the thought would be is if those conservation dollars went away, would that piece of land turn into, you know, hotel? Whatever. Well, this he's he's a he's an elk that if he's in the crazy mountains and he lives on public land in the yeah, but would that public that, land in that's, stay? Some, that's an important point that you're making there. Would it? the and, public land stay without conservation dollars? I would say okay. no. So Pittman Robertson dollars go towards keeping public lands public. State. I don't think the for I don't think the Forest Service gets Pittman Robertson dollars. Um, I'm not sure about that. I know state does. So, yeah, and again, this is where the, the West, East-West is kind of a little different. 
Um, okay, let's take a deer in your in your neck of the woods. Yep. How is he profiting from an influx of conservation dollars on an annual? I think basis? the same point you made is like it's it almost seems like those dollars coming in from you know fr- from from recreation is like they're basically to combat the erosion of of habitat because habitat loss. Yeah, because if there's no value there, then why wouldn't I just turn it into anything other than wildlife habitat. Well, in a crazy way too, Matt, is the fact that if there was no value in recreational land, land would be disappearing at a very, very, very fast rate right now. Mm. No, but, but I'm saying like, you're, what we started out the discussion with, you you were saying, Jeremy. Without the conservation. Uh, we fund conservation. Yep. We, we, what, what, to me, it seems like a lot of wildlife in this country, all they need is a, is it fairly intact? Sure. Natural ecosystem. They do. That's all. And they by need. definition, that doesn't require. If it's a fairly intact natural ecosystem, it doesn't need huge influxes of catch. It's 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 self sustaining. It it seems though like it the to define definition or to define uh, conservation in this sense, it's just to keep it wildlife habitat regardless of wild. the improved quality or not it's just is it wildlife habit habitat because of conservation dollars or is it a super center because nobody cares about wildlife or their habitat there's not enough money to justify keeping that i don't but i don't see i don't think that the, our conservation dollars are, are the money we buy products with Mm-hmm. That's what we're talking about here, right? Yeah. yeah, PR. I don't think that that goes to keeping public lands public. It goes. I don't think it does either. But it, I think it goes it to. Should. It goes to. What's that? Well, I think it should. I think that's a lot of what we've talked about is using those dollars to keep habitat. Habitat. I guess I'm trying. I just need to ask this question more simply. You guys are saying that we fund conservation. What exactly? are those dollars going towards? It's a good question. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think we're asking the same question. They go they go to US Fish and Wildlife, right? I mean, that that's where PR funds go is to US Fish and Wildlife service, PR funds. Yep, Pittman Robertson funds, which is our tax dollars on hunting gear, ammunition, ammunition they go to, where? to US Fish and Wildlife service, okay? The fund, their fund. And those are used Some on conservation them. efforts. Yeah, a lot of them, I think, go there. That then goes on conservation efforts. So U.S. Fish and Wildlife would be like your National Wildlife Refuge System, which is giant, mm-hmm. and which in most cases allows hunting access. Mm-hmm. Um, goes to research and preservation. Goes to a lot of waterfowl because of U.S. Fish and Wildlife being federal. Um, a lot of it goes to state fish and game management agencies. Mm-hmm. Which is probably where I would say, well... Again, east versus west. In the east, I would say that's where most people hunt is on state land versus in the west, yeah. most people hunt on federal land. And I think the big difference there, Matt, is... I need to figure this out. Like, I need to figure out how a deer yeah. would know. How would a deer discover that there was no longer conservation, that the Pittman-Robertson tax had been abolished? How would he figure it out? What would happen to his day-to-day? I think the biggest thing, and again, I, I don't know. Let's say it's going a lot of it's going into state agencies. If they can't fund 
the resources to enforce regulations. They those deer. Yeah, will but know. I don't think you can use PR dollars for enforcement. I don't know. I'm pretty sure that that's true. I'm 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 almost positive that's true. That like a game warden is not funded through PR dollars. Hmm. Which seems insane because that would be like the one thing that I would think would be affected. Can't enforce game it. Biologists, game biologists are. Yeah, but hell, in most states, they got to report to the legislature anyway, so they don't listen to them. <laughs> yeah, at the end of the day. <laughs> I mean, let's be honest. They don't get to, they don't get to decide what... They, they, they don't get to use their data to make the decisions. Instead, it's just... Yeah, it's whatever the constituents decide on. No, it's a good yeah. question, man. I mean, I, I don't know. Um, you know, I guess the, the, the hunter and the conservation in me wants to believe that it goes to things that are helping keep the wild wild but do i know that no yeah i'm gonna start asking people that on a regular basis and then someday i'm gonna encounter somebody that really knows the answer and i don't think it'll be the answer we want to hear probably that would be my guess yeah i have friends that can answer this question that work for montana fish wildlife and parks i just need to pose it for that. big it's a good it's a it's a really good question to understand uh, and it goes back to the transparency side of things i always hate it man when people aren't transparent i just immediately know you're hiding something that you shouldn't <laughs> like that's just that's just the <laughs> way that i am and the skeptics it's like hey uh wh- where do these do- well you know they i don't know come on what, why do you, why are you going to make it tap like that? Dancing on yeah, you. you just know that something's not right, you know, and it's just, you know, but that's, that's the answer you get for a lot of these things. So yeah, it's, um, the, the whole discussion around it, I think the, the big thing is, is like, you know, whether you're familiar with it or not, uh, this country cannot go to the European model of conservation. It can't, uh, it, it won't survive, frankly. Um, it will be the way that the in now I say that in the same breath, I do believe that the North American wildlife conservation model needs some updating based on how things have changed. Uh, what updates specifically? I don't know. That's a whole different podcast to get into, but I do think that things have changed dramatically in society and how things are done. Um, I think that it, it's worth a, a strong, you know, look over to say, you know, what is, what is maybe even not relevant, uh, that we're trying like to what force. Tenants, which of the seven tenants would you get, a, would you, Gosh, would you man. want to reevaluate? Okay. So here's your seven. I'll read them off. Wildlife resources are conser- conserved and held in trust for all citizens. We've we've dabbled nah. all over that one. We've dabbled all over that one. Okay, uh, <laughs> commerce in dead wildlife is eliminated. Oh, yeah, that, that one seems one gone. Totally right? violated. Yeah, uh, wildlife is allocated according to democratic rule of law. I don't even know how to freaking address that one. Nope. Uh, wildlife may only be killed for a legitimate, non-frivolous purpose. It's like a a list of seven things we are not doing. Yeah. Wildlife is an international resource. Every person has an equal opportunity under the law to participate in hunting and fishing. That's getting better, right? We've got a lot of states that are putting in 
uh, hunting as a right versus a privilege. Well, I think it's okay. Equal opportunity as long as you have a thick pocketbook. Yeah. Okay. Scientific oh, we just addressed this. Scientific management is the proper means for wildlife conservation. Yeah, we, right. We Another that one, one that okay. No, so uh, I guess my answer would be all seven. Matt need need some sort of uh, revisit. They don't need. I don't think they need work. I think they're sound. I think that they need to be enforced. Who's going to enforce them? Well, I think they need to be okay. Not let's. They need to be adhered to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we should at least acknowledge that we've abandoned them. Yeah, I think we've As abandoned a them a, we a long time ago. Yeah, I mean, yeah, a long nobody, time ago. I, there, there's no hunting celebrity that could. I don't sound like you could say with a straight face that they're not using wildlife to make money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it's. Uh, no. You know, and I mean, have I, you guys heard my? Have you heard my? Uh, I uh, this going back momentarily for, to this. Um, we need more hunters for conservation. Bit. Yep. You know, another reason why I'm suspicious of that argument is because none of these people from nonprofits that argue that are they, they either they will not, they are unaware of the literature or they never mention the literature on all the peer reviewed public or peer reviewed uh, scientific papers that indicate all of the negative effects of intense hunting pressure on wildlife. Yeah. Yeah. If you're, if you guys like seen my Pope and young talk or heard me say anything about I that saw, on the podcast. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's like, how can you not have any qualifier in the, in, in that argument when you say we need more hunters for conservation, how can you say that without also pointing out that, more hunters is also has a negative effect on wildlife. Well, and, and didn't you say uh, on, on conservation, didn't you say, like, and I'm not talking about the animal that's being killed, right? The other I'm talking about cow to calf ratios in elk, yeah, lipid concentrations in duck body fat, lipid concentrations in, in ducks, uh, body condition scores in duck. Sexually selected infanticide and bears, spatial distributions of almost every game animal there is have been shown to be negatively impacted by intense hunting pressure. Public lands are being rendered inhospitable to wildlife because of hunting pressure. And still these guys with a straight face will tell you, we need more hunters for conservation. Well, didn't you say in one of the, I don't remember which report it was, Matt, that like 80 plus percent of the hunters reported that hunting pressure affected where they hunted? Oh, it's more like 92 in the least in the, in the most recent. So it affects the wildlife on the land. It also affects the people who are trying to hunt the land. Like, yeah. How is that not your yeah. double whammy that says, yeah, you know what, guys, we better take a take a break here. Yeah. It, it, it just, and you stop and think about it, they can't even, they being the nonprofits, they won't, they, they don't, won't even consider it because there's so much money tied up in it. 
Yeah. Turnover of memberships too, in a lot of these cases. I mean, think of our baby boomer, you know, era, you know, fading off and you know, they need to they need to plug the holes. Right? They need new people. Well, yeah, but what a weird way to plug them to be like, we're gonna turn people into hunters and then get them to pay dues. <laughs> okay, take take backcountry backcountry hunters and anglers. Pretty okay. Important nonprofit, right? Yep. Uh big recruiting mm-hmm. push arm yep. with them. Bunch of chapters. They three, they have our three specific employees. Okay. They operate in Montana. That's where they're centered. Yeah. Do you know what you know what percentage of hunters in Montana belong to BHA? Mm-mm. One. One percent? Yes. Wow. So it's not like they have to turn people into hunters and then get them to be dues-paying members. They could work on the 99% of people that already hunt that aren't members. Yeah. But that ain't, but those people already own gear. Yep. <laughs> do you, do you think that there are some nonprofits out there that actually care that actually give a shit? Well, I think that, okay, we're talking about the people that work for these nonprofits. No, because I know there are people that, I know people in all of these groups. But I'm talking, like, overall. Like, is there, can you put a thumb on any of these nonprofits? You're like, you know what? Those guys uh, collectively are, are, are doing something good. Okay, so are you asking about their intention or their intention or what they or their effect. Their yeah, their their effect. Their effect. Yes. Yeah, cuz all of them I think will say that they have good intentions compared to what they could do for wildlife and for the existing hunting community, if you compare what they could do for wildlife mm-hmm. in the existing hunting community compared to what they are doing, mm-hmm. it's just they could do so much better. I can't I, I have a hard time deciding if some of these groups like a rocky mountain elk foundation yeah you know they do some pretty good stuff yeah i mean it seems buying, like it right yeah buying land buying land serving yep. it turning it over to the, the sportsmen yeah but here's my my non-profit choice would be something like them except also that they're they're opposed to uh leasing land in states that have government programs that allow everybody to hunt you know mm-hmm. they're opposed to use of dead and dying animals to sell products mm-hmm. they oppose r3 because the existing community hunting community already ha- is having a hard enough time having a quality experience i think you it's know, they- <laughs> Yeah, I think it's interesting, man. When you talk about look at what a nonprofit should be doing, yeah, they really cared about the existing hunting community compared to what they are doing. It it just, it just doesn't. They don't seem serious to me. I think the existing hunting community is an. I mean, they're they're listening right now, right? They're on the the podcast list. I think it's an interesting discussion. And it's a healthy one to have and, and to say even out loud that you should feel a little bit screwed here. Um, you should feel a little bit uh, kind of, you know, wool over the eyes and that 
you are a driving force of this community right now. Um, and frankly, the efforts are not putting, being put in to take care of you. Yeah. Yeah. That seems like a good clarion call to me. Yeah. And man, I would say that, you know, like in terms of the wool over your eye, I don't, I would hate for people to not think to, to accept what I'm saying. I just think there needs to be a lot less like just received wisdom yeah. where people hear things from people in the hunting sphere and just accept them as Jared says it all the time, man. Of, question everything. Question that's everything. not a bad exactly. thing. That's not a bad thing. Just question everything. Use your yeah. brain. Ah, yeah. yeah. Everybody's saying something. Just think about it. <laughs> yeah. Tough, man. Well, listen, Matt, we took up a bunch of your time, dude. We uh, absolutely appreciate you coming on and having this discussion. It, man, it feels good to have, like, I mean, you know, take what you want out of this podcast if you're listening to this, but I mean, it just feels good to have open dialogue on stuff that is very, very important to the future. Again, it's not that I feel threatened that our hunting uh, community is, or the hunting rights are going to be taken away from us, but I do feel threatened on the experience because uh, selfishly, I feel like I went through some of the heyday in that late 90s, early 2000s with the deer camp atmosphere, the blinders essentially to what else was out beyond my state boundary. Uh, there were a lot of uh, clarity and purity in what I did um, to where if you're entering it now, I don't know if you'll ever see that in your lifetime. And that's sad for me because I, I just, you know, what I did back then is what's made me the hunter I am today. Oh man, I I really appreciate that you guys, the honesty, like you guys can at least say that there's a problem, yeah. which is which is rare among people in the hunting sphere. And thank you, Matt, for going against the grain and for questioning like what the hunting industry has, has been promoting. Like I, you know, it's it's frustrating and. You know, in some cases, it's like you, you don't want to hear it, you know, or, or even entertain that some of these things are like taking place. But, you know, I, I commend you for taking the stance. I know it's it's even affected some of your closest personal relationships. So, like, you know, clearly you believe in it. And I, I think we can see why. Mm -hmm. And so I, I think it's a really good thing that uh, that we're having this conversation and that you're, you know, leading it in some some senses. Thanks. You guys have a good night. All right, man. And long one again. Yeah. <laughs> uh, appreciate you bearing with us if you're still listening. Uh, it's, it's, it's 1030 our time in case anybody's wondering. Yeah. I haven't eaten all day. <laughs> my, my bedtime's at like nine. <laughs> I I, I'm not kidding. Like I, I'm usually asleep by nine. Um, it, 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 awesome conversation with Matt. I mean, again, it, part of our podcast is so that we just have open discussions. Um, clearly some things we don't agree on. And, mm -hmm. and, um, I, I won't say either of us are right or wrong. It's it's just all opinionated. Well, th there were some things that were said that, at face value, sound really bad. Yeah, like the hunting public. Yeah. Which we know those guys. We love those guys. Yep. And and they, uh, again, Matt's opinion, our opinion, those guys are not doing anything intentionally to be negative towards public hunting. Well, yeah, obviously, yeah. And and that's, you know, why we question. We're like, well, what, yeah. what do you mean? T tell us wh why you feel this way about that. And I, I do think, you know, over the course of a three-and-a-half-hour conversation, it kind of comes out, well, it's I don't, yes, I, I agree. Their intention is not this. And yeah, it's, it's inadvertent. Then we kind of identified 
what we've kind of always said about like the, the 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 trap of the industry in terms of like getting caught promoting a lifestyle that well yeah i it, mean think of those guys just in general like this so, is the first time we've incorporated that like the access kind yeah. of element of that it's always been the way well, you're making money off and well it's hard whatever. for you and i because um and i don't mean this to sound horrible for us or anyone listening who feels this way is like uh besides like our family and and you know business and the, deer hunting is everything to us like it, we talk about this all the time. It's like, dude, if you don't deer hunt, what do you do? It's because we think about it every day. We think about it every day, management, shed hunting, finding bucks, trail camp, whatever we, because we love it. It is the passion that it is, you know, our free time is deer hunting and management. I, I don't, I don't actually think people can comprehend like the amount of, of time and money and resources. There that, are some people listening to this can. Oh yeah. There's a handful of them for sure. Yep. We've talked about it as a 1%. Is it five? Yeah. Is it less than one percent? But I say that because because we feel that way, the ability to purchase land for hunting exclusively to us, call it selfish or not, is a major major goal in my life. Mm. Um, not like I I think about it every day, but I do. <laughs> well, I, I, dude, I think a lot of that is motivated by this conversation we do, and it's worth questioning, like. The reason that we want to buy land so badly is because those opportunities are so limited to the people the that can do that. The experience everywhere else is dog shit. Because <laughs> you're, well, and I say that because when your uncle and my dad and everybody else hunted, none of those guys even talked about buying land or leasing land. I didn't even hear the word leasing land until I moved to Mississippi when I was in college. Yeah. Because the experience that they had and I had was fantastic. Well, it was everything we wanted. And I don't think Matt is wrong. I mean, I think, I think he points at the hunting industry and the promotion of hunting on those exclusive types of lands as being a, a primary motivator of that. And I I don't... You can't disagree. Disagree. Um, I Yeah. And, and in a selfish manner, I can't disagree that that's bad for everybody. Because for people... can't disagree that that's bad for... It's a lot of double negatives going on there. What so, I, I can't disagree that... So, you agree. <laughs> right? I, you, yeah. You, did, I, you don't okay. you can't disagree. So, I agree that um, the way that, that that shaped up for some people was negative. Sure. For other people, I think it was a giant positive because it set off uh, a light bulb to, oh, I could have an even better experience mm -hmm. if I have this yeah. land to yeah. myself. Well, well, it's a separation. Like it's, you know, it's just like a separation of like, well, of wealth, basically. Well, wealth what, distribution. And it pushed it of hard. Resource. Pushed it really hard. To yeah. the people who have land, the in-between is the people who either have permission or lease land to the people who don't have land. Um, and, and again, in context, we're talking a lot about whitetail states. I, I have no familiarity or what the hell happens in the West. Yeah, right. I just know there's public land everywhere. Yeah. Um, and people don't buy land necessarily just to hunt. It's different. There's a lot more access out there. So, public access. So this, this, this separation has occurred. And yes, the, uh, the top uh, is absolutely benefiting more from the experience of, you know, privatization, exclusivity. 
but you also have a lot of people in the bottom and and for me it's a bad experience i don't i don't like it but there's a lot of people that love the challenge of public land i mean they, they'll tell you about it. the first thing they say to you is like hey i'm jared i'm a public land hunter i think that's out of necessity i i okay i really do it's like the, yes but in a, in a, again they just it, aren't the same thing it's maybe like, it's are you, are you really going to tell me that you and there are guys that will they will ride it until they die and but great i if you that is the reality then i'm happy that that is the way for mm -hmm. you because that's what you got yeah um but to tell me that like you genuinely enjoy challenging other guys on mm -hmm. public land to kill a three or four year old deer like in the state of michigan or something like that over you know the the opposite spectrum spectrum of what somebody would call like a premium whitetail experience. Like even we talked about it here recently, like like a green a green to grain, eight and a half year old deer that you've you know built invested into this with, property, yeah. built history with, found sheds, like done all this stuff with. It's two different experiences. They're very different know. experiences. I, I don't know. Yeah, and and so why I also say that is that um, I do, and it 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 sounds kind of I do disagree that the top the people with that exclusive access is a pure rich man's game. There's a lot of ways to have land inheriting it. Uh, there are still plenty of access, like permission pieces, friends, family type 100%. stuff. Um, so I, I get a bad distaste and that's because like, I, you know, well, dude, look at what we're going through right now. Like, dude, we're not rich. Like we, you know, yes, we've certainly been, uh, born into, or like have some situations that are, are better than other people. There's, there's no sure. doubt that's life. But we're busting our friggin' butts to be able to buy yeah, and a piece of ground. Yeah, and it stretches it stretches the finances for sure. Yeah. And and it's definitely not in cash. We aren't buying shit in cash. We're accruing debt. Oh yeah. Um so it, I don't I hate that distaste for like and no like knock to them, but like the Ted Turners of the world. And I was like, dude, I'm nowhere like that kind of guy. I even think when you talk about the Ben Risings or we had Bobby Kendall on, like all of these guys are, dude, they're taking risks and they're taking on debt to try to get to that goal. You may not want to do it, but don't knock them for being a rich guy because they surely aren't. They're just willing to take a risk. And if it fails, they may be screwed. I mean, that's just the reality. I, I don't know like where, where this went wrong or like what the hunting industry kind of had to do with that i think that was a lot of what our conversation was about but mm -hmm. but the reality is that like the the as far as deer hunting which is like by far and away the, the there's the most amount of deer mm -hmm. hunters more than anybody mm -hmm. uh as far as deer hunting goes the best opportunities are on private land and the way to get access to those is to, is to buy them or to to pay for them somehow that is that is the way that it is now yeah man the, the uh the private land experience um you know, is, uh, it, it's a hard thing to put a finger on. It's always existed, right? There's not necessary. There's not been, let me see how to say this. It's late. There hasn't not. Yeah. <laughs> there's not, there hasn't been less private land than there is today, right? Private land is dwindling from a hunting side. Yeah. Public um, access to private land, you mean? public access has been dwindling but no i'm just saying private land in general there's there's less private land available today than there was whatever 20 years ago right from urban sprawl and okay um sure. you know subdivisions and whatever else right okay. there's less private land for deer hunting today Huntable than there was private land yeah 20 yeah. years ago so th this gravitation to to private land uh, yes there's already access being taken away because there's less private land this this kind of migration to it from a hunting standpoint 
Yeah, I, I do think that in a in a way it is uh industry driven from content that you all of a sudden start to see in Iowa and these guys are hunting these big farms. But I also think that this um I think that uh, I don't know if I want to say we were lied to. I feel really um blinded by the fact that we may have been told that hunting numbers were just in the tank and, and we gotta get hunters in here and that was bullshit and it created a feeding frenzy on private land because all of a sudden the places that we did hunt before were gone or were saturated. And that automatically I can agree with that. created this feeding yeah. frenzy to lease because it was like, oh my God, I don't want that anymore. We have to secure something now. Well, not only that, but like, you know, uh, what Matt said about and, and this is not to, to point at anyone like manufacturer, like who knows, you know, the intention or, or, or sure. the situations that people get into with running companies and stuff. Yeah, I mean, listen, I, I run a company in the industry. It's yeah. not like I have a shitload of extra dollars to throw towards access. I yeah. just don't. Well, what I'm going to say, though, is like in regards to, uh, you know, Matt talked about uh, the donations, right, to the conservation groups and it's you know he, and he said it pretty bluntly like it's not conservation dollars that's marketing dollars that's going out you know to to uh is not wrong to, to bring people i mean dude that's all of the most financially successful companies in all of time especially in the united states have gone out and created a, a need maybe one existed initially but to grow created more of a need i mean I don't know, dude, like it's a conspiracy theory or whatever, but like run down the list of like big pharma being like sure. above and beyond. It's like this drug creates a problem for this one, creates a problem for this one. Yeah. And on and on. I mean, you can look at any industry. Yeah, it's a ladder. There's a necessity to like, to continue to, to, to make people want your, to, or need to buy your products. Mm -hmm. And yeah. you know, that could be misconstrued through a good thing, like the promotion of hunting. Like nobody's going to say, I mean, Matt might, but we're not going to say that that's a bad thing inherently. It's not. Sure. But it is a part of, and it may be paid for or motivated by the need to sell more product money. Yeah. And when you bring those people in, there's nowhere for them to go. And the existing people are yep. having a worse experience because of it. And I think that's an important thing that was, at, at, you know, at least the conversation was brought to light by today's conversation. It's the realization that the motivation for a lot of that stuff, even though the people doing the promoting themselves may be well-intentioned, mm -hmm. is... Uh, ultimately hurting your access. Yeah. Yeah, the one thing that we didn't cover, we, I, I tried to touch on it, but I applied it to the Western side, which sucks because I don't know anything about that. The one thing that we didn't cover is, and, and we're in that group as long as uh, a lot of people is, um, and it's not necessarily the conservation, like how does this deer get conservation dollars, but the private landowner spends billions of dollars creating better habitat for all types of game and non-game species inadvertently. Sure. Uh, whether it's food plots or timber stand improvements yep. or whatever it is. Um, we, it is an immense amount of in, enhanced habitat that if, in Matt's case, would say, hey, just do nothing and this deer will be fine. Maybe. Yeah. But by doing all of this on a, my private land there's a lot of deer and a lot of turkey and a lot of songbirds well, and butterflies and for, everything else. For the else. sake of the argument, that's also driven by the hunting industry. Which I think is a good thing. Which I think is a good thing. It, it's uh, We're not, we, you and I are not anti-hunting industry. You no, know, I think, we are <laughs> hunting industry. Exactly. Yeah. 
Uh, I mean, to, in some sense of the word, but it's like I do. I do agree that I think that there could be, and, and I said it to Matt on the podcast. Dude, maybe some of these people would help you, but you can't shit talk them. Right. Like I'm not gonna. <laughs> if you're if you're telling me as the manufacturer that I'm a piece of shit, and then at the same time you're saying, yeah, you're gonna get, eh? maybe not the best. And approach. and I know that's not. I know that's just him getting fired up over yeah. it. But but you can't expect that, right? right. Um, and so, uh, like, I guarantee if you sat down and had a good conversation with a Sitka well, or whoever, and you said, hey, listen, here's what we're trying to do. How can Sitka help us provide more access to hunters? Like, yeah. this fund is for that. No different than going to the state legislatures or whoever to say, hey, we want one-tenth of a percent on sales tax. One-tenth of a percent. Yeah. And it will generate a massive amount of opportunity for hunters who spend billions of dollars every year. I, th I think it's a change in mindset. Like, it's hard to, to, you know, say this confidently without all of the data laid out for you. But, like, it seems up until this point, you know, Matt's frustration in our conversation today was around uh, manufacturers promoting, you know, the highest quality experience, which only comes in the case of whitetail hunting by purchasing, you know, this land and eventually yeah, exclusive access, exclusive somehow. access. And eventually people run out of access. And it seems like it would be a, a better, like an, even a time now to, to pivot to where it's like, it would be a more sustainable, better for all situation, uh, hunters and manufacturers and content producers. If somehow that vicious cycle of like jacking up the prices of this was put back into paying private landowners for public access on their lands. Yes. Yeah. Well, and, and again, um, just preserving it, that also will in turn also preserve a lot of habitat for wildlife that 100%. is fading quickly. hundred percent. Um, yeah, it, it's a, it's an interesting take on it. And obviously out of everyone, the industry people, the manufacturers absolutely don't want hunters to, to, to bail out. That's their customers. They, they lose customers, they lose money. Um, and so, yeah, it's it's a weird thing when you start to look at it. Um, I do think that the one, you know, we, there's there's other things we agree. The one thing I'm 100% on board with Matt on is the fact that as existing hunters, we are not the priority. We're not the priority. The priority is the people who quit hunting to come back in or the people who have never hunted to come in. Us who are the stronghold, we're the wall, yeah. are forgotten. Oh, they're already hunters. Who gives a shit? What do they need? If you look at the R3 program. Depicted as the enemy. I mean, do you look at a crossbow lobbyist would say to us, like, these guys are terrible. Like, they hate, they hate, yeah. uh, they don't want hunters. They don't want new hunters. They don't want these people who can't shoot a, uh, a vertical bow to, what? Mm -hmm. But if you look at the money, I bet there's a lot of money going to reactivation and a lot of money going to recruitment. And a little money going to the retention. Access. Little, little. Retention comes from access. That's us. We're the existing people. And uh, we're and right, That's it, man. And right now, the only way you get access is by paying for it. And that's, I don't think anybody wants that. No, no. But again, you can't blame the landowner for taking lease money or whatever. Or I the mean, individual for buying it or no. the content. Because the alternative for is, content about it. is not a good experience. And that's where we, we have circled the opportunity and experience thing. It's become kind of a core piece of our podcast. Um, and, and transparently, you know, we have a lot of really good experiences because of what we've worked hard to develop. 
we also still have some pretty bad experiences when we try to go outside our core box mm. um, because we want to do things like everybody else does. And then we do them and we're like, well, that's dog shit. Why would we do that? Like we care about hunting. Hunting, it means so much to us. And it, for such a short time, I can't do that every day. That's miserable. Why would anybody want to do it? Because it's the only option you have because you as the active hunter are forgotten by the the same people who said, hey, come in with us. We'll take care of you. You'll love this. It's it's fun. <laughs> That's what happens. Once they have you, on to the next. It's an interesting conversation. I hope that nobody will ever say that we just have people on like it's an echo chamber. Like we, they're going to agree with us. Because I, I knew he, we were going to disagree w- with him on a lot. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know if we would agree with him on much, to be honest, when we got into it. Yep. Um, I, th- and, th- and I think in things. the end, we ended up agreeing on a lot. Yeah, uh, more than I thought. St- you know, I, and obviously, yeah, and you commented on the, the way things are said and, and who's attacked. Probably not the right approach. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think Especially because we know a lot of those guys yeah. personally, and we know that they're not... Yeah, right. They're not ill intentions, and, and maybe it is. Inver- <laughs> Although, you know... Yeah, the hard part is there from a recruitment side or a reactivation side. I bet they're doing a bang-up job. Doing a good job, you mean? It, Recruiting a lot of people? Or re- or reactivating a bunch of people. Who are you talking about? The Hunt Public, public and, and Hushin and the guys that, 100%, that he pulled out? 100%. And I, and I will stick to my opinion, which is I don't think that that's a bad thing. I, I think... No. I, I don't think there's anything wrong. Yes, at some point you start to make money from that, but that any successful business or operation w- will yield that. Well, and I don't think you can stop it. As a hunting community, I don't think you can stop recruitment and reactivation completely, but we sure as hell have to do a better job for access in order to be able to handle those recruitment and reactivation. Well, at some point it stalls out. It checks itself because it's like, you know, those guys can do the best job ever at promoting people. But the outflow is is offsetting. Yeah. Because people are like, exactly. screw this, I'm leaving. Yeah, they're like, yeah, it's great content. I would love to do that, but like I can't yeah. find a piece new, of public new, land that's not yeah, completely Yeah, new person loaded. comes in, old person goes out because they're like, screw this. So yeah. it's it's a wash. Right. Uh, and that's what happens. That If you look at a lot of the statistics and what people say, they're like, man, we got to recruit more people because we're losing so much. Did anybody stop and think that you're losing people because you're putting people in? I did think it was really interesting, his point about, uh, you know, social media and how, um, like, we're so afraid that it's the lack of, of hunter number that scares us. We're like, well, if we, you know, if we get if, if we lose hunters, we lose uh, strength against mm-hmm. the anti-hunters. And the point that he kind of brought to light was basically like, in reality, or like at least in like uh, um, recently, it's it's been the overexposure, like the, it's and it's the number of hunters that drive you know that drives that basically is like whether it's Bomar spearing a bear or it's you mm-hmm. know these girls that sh- shot the lines and stuff. It's that's what's friggin' firing them up, and not that they did anything inherently wrong, but yeah. you see the conflict that exists well, because of that. And especially the exposure into new audiences. And, and obviously he, he's the awesome. Optics. Yeah. Uh, think Joe Rogan. Joe Rogan is not traditionally a hunter, right? Was brought into hunting via, you know, Cam and, and Steve Ranella and these other guys. Yeah. And look at Joe's audience. And inevitably, I'm sure there's a large part of Joe's audience that do not like that he hunts. Sure. 
a large part of it. Sure. So those optics that are happening, um, you know, in one way you could look at Joe as one of the most influential hunters out there because people know well, him. Dude, per- perfect case in point there. Like J- Joe is not financially motivated not to inspire new hunters. None. He just loves to hunt. Like he's, yeah, he loves he, to he hunt. He loves, loves to eat loves elk. talking about it. And, yeah. and undoubtedly that's inspiring a ton of hunters. And so there's a perfect example of, of good intent, but because of the access that exists for it, you know, possibly a negative effect. Tough, tough place to be in, in, um, in, in a social media mindset and, and just a media mindset of connectivity and, and yeah, all the things that we think optically look great could be having a major negative effect on the experience that many people and specifically the people who have been doing this their whole life, um, their, yeah. their quality and, of hunt has degraded greatly. Yeah. And silencing yourself, not creating content that you, that you love, you know, that, that yeah, don't do that. Don't do that. That's not the answer. We'll, f- yeah. we'll figure the yeah, we'll access figure out. thing out. I mean, we want to see it. We want to watch YouTube. We want to watch the guy yeah. that we, I don't know you, you don't know me, but you created a cool hunt in Kansas or Pennsylvania or Ohio. And I watched it and I'm like, damn, that was awesome. Like we want that. That is not Matt really hung on that as being a bad thing. And I'm, I do not think it is. Um, I think it's great that you're sharing those hunts and experiences um, and I wouldn't, and no offense, I wouldn't go as far as saying that those people are instilling a whole new generation of hunters or anything like that. Um, I think ultimately though, it's the fact that, um, I mean, it, it, does it not seem like the hunting industry is just a lot bigger than it was 20 years ago, 15 years ago? Like it just feels bigger. Um, and, and what's so weird about that is because it feels bigger, shouldn't there be, much more given back to like the access and the availability of hunting. It does feel bigger, but in a lot of ways it feels a lot smaller. Yeah. Um, but the same, the same is true. Like the, the amount of dollars that are coming in and does the hunting feel smaller? Cause the industry has to be bigger. Well, I guess like when I talk about that, like when we go to ATA, it's like, mm. it's dead. Yeah. But I, I don't think that's cause the companies are dead. I just don't think they go. It's like, don't think they go to ATA. Yeah. And but that may be true. I think the companies still be true. The, 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 the big players are there, right? And they're thriving. Um, they're just not at that show, right? But compared to 20 years ago, when there was like a couple camera companies, a couple bow companies. Sure. A trail camera or two companies. Sure. Like it, there's way more beef here now. Um, and yet hunters are in hunter numbers in theory, are less than they were, and yet they're struggling even more to have a good experience. Yeah. It's a, it's a strange kind of turn of events, and it's and again, it's it's we're bleeding out there, um, you know, but uh, it's just baby steps, and, and uh, man, it, it just seems like, you know, and, you know, we're, we're obviously for it, and, you know, I don't know where the opposition would come from, but the fact that it's like a ten, like a penny for every $8 on a tax could go to conservation and generate 130 million a year. Okay, Sarah. <laughs> what? <laughs> Sarah McLaughlin. <laughs> a penny a dollar. A penny what a dollar. Is day. that ASPCA? Something like that. But yeah. no, you're not wrong, dude. It's like it seems like a big enough issue that like um 
you know, I'd be I'd be willing to put money towards that. I don't. I, mean, I don't know how. Of I'm all the taxes that are included in that sales tax thing, like at least that's the one thing I'm like, damn, I'd be pretty happy about that. The rest of them, it's like, what's this for? You know, they're thirty three cents for this, five cents for this. Like, where's that money go? Who the hell knows? Yeah. Well, and frankly, I, I think that would motivate people just as much. Like, if I knew that I could go and spend money on something, and a portion of it was going to get dedicated to yep. opening back up private lands for me and for anybody it's like that's i could i could see that being appealing yeah i think it would be i think it would really be a big piece i think it's also we we've had the question for a long time of how do we get the non-consumptive users to commit dollars to conservation because we all enjoy the benefits of you know cleaner air or waters whatever it might be right how do you get those people to con to to commit when they're non-consumptive right they don't necessarily use it for a consumptive manner via sales tax yeah so anyways i'm sure everybody's gonna yell at me for lobbying for higher taxes great i don't know what side what what political party usually does higher taxes i don't know dude anymore <laughs> uh i don't who knows i'm gonna say democrats but i could be wrong sounds right we'll blame them <laughs> Bigger government makes more money. Yeah, higher taxes. Uh, higher taxes. That sounds right. We're not them. Anyways, uh, we appreciate you listening to this episode number one thirty six with Matt Renella, and we will see you next time. Later. It's take me. Oh.